Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Story Toolkit. I know we've been gone a long time, well, we never meant for Vikings to be our last episode, uh, but, uh, but a short break uh, three years ago uh, has become an indefinite hiatus. However, I am very, very excited for the Snyder Cut of Justice League. It's been four years, but it's finally here, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. So to commemorate its release, uh, I decided to screen Batman v Superman over Discord, which is one of my favourite movies, and uh, do a running solo commentary over the top of it. Uh, and that's what this episode of the toolkit is, this, that commentary. Uh, and the commentary lasts for about three hours, and it is a lot looser than our other podcast episodes. It's just me on my own. So, um, and there's uh, even some dead air because I'm interacting with people in the chat server. So it's probably worth queuing up the theatrical cut of the film, not the extended editions, by the way, the theatrical cut, because I don't, I didn't have access to the extended editions when I did the screening. Um, so it might be worth queuing it up and having that play as you're listening. Uh, Chris Terrio and Zack Snyder have done an amazing job on this film uh, with a truly diverse cast of excellent actors. The approach to these characters and their world is both emotionally and psychologically nuanced, yet they deliver it as an operatic epic, the second episode in a planned five-part odyssey that would have included uh, a trilogy of Justice League films. So, um... I hope my appreciation of it uh, comes through for you, and uh, for all of you, I hope there's something of use for you in your own works, and uh, enjoy. Three, two, one, and play the DVD. Right. Excellent. So, I adore this film. It's very, very good. And I guess. Um, oh, there's no subtitles. I'm going to put those on for you. Yeah. So, I watched Man of Steel. Uh, just before I put this on, and of course I'm very excited for the uh, Snyder Cut. And um, Man of Steel is interesting because it's kind of two films. Uh, the first half of Man of Steel is this sort of continuous sort of vignettes of different little things. Um, you know, you've got um, the Smallville stuff, you've got the Wandering stuff, you've got the Lois stuff, you've got the Krypton stuff. So there's all these vignettes that go through. And then they all kind of come together for that last 90 minutes, which is really top action and everything. And it's a very grounded, realistic world. And this film, like, what's interesting is it opens here with something that Man of Steel doesn't do, which is it has slow motion. Um, uh, so Man of Steel doesn't do slow motion. It doesn't do the typical, what you would, I guess, call Snyderisms, I guess. You know, that sort of thing where he does that ramping. and He doesn't do that in Man of Steel. But here, it opens with this sort of slow motion. Um, and, like, you know, there's the gun coming into focus and all this. So he's already sort of started to say, well, this world is much more um, uh, fantastical than what we saw in Man of Steel. And that's because, of course, he's bringing in 
all these characters. And what's interesting is he had to bring all these characters in. Um, the, the what I've heard was he originally they were going to do Man of Steel two, and it was going to have Brainiac as the villain, and he quite rightly realized that Brainiac as the villain would just be Man of Steel all over again, just be another alien invasion, city in danger, and all that stuff. Uh, and I believe they took the motivation they were going to give Lex to Bruce to Batman. Which I think is a brilliant thing. And they made the Batman v Superman thing. I don't know how true that is. That might not be true. And um, But he had to start building this whole expanded DC Universe. Because he planned this as a five film series. Man of Steel, Batman v Superman and then Justice League 1, 2 and 3. And Justice League 1, 2 and 3 were going to be like this big Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, and so this is when he had to cast everyone and get everything ready for the Justice League film so that's why we've got Jason Momoa and Ray Fisher because they filmed it back to back as soon as they finished this they were making Justice League um, so this is much more closer to like a, a TV series than it is a, a film in that sense um, although this is this is great stuff. And uh, this is, by the way, the theatrical cut because I don't have the Ultimate Edition. I think that's on Blu-ray. Um, and I I don't know. Uh, I watched the Ultimate Cut once. I thought it was fine. Uh, I really, I mean, I say fine. I loved it. But uh, I, I, at some point, I'll probably get into the, the way that this, like Man of Steel, has sort of two films going together that collide at the end, which, of course, one is Batman's film and the other one is a Superman film. So... We'll see how that goes anyway. Um, yeah. So this, of course, is a, all a dream. This is Batman's dream. He's not actually experiencing this. Um, <laughs> I remember when I saw this in the cinema. I'm like, wait, he can fly? What's going on? He's taking some real liberties with the cannon. And no, <laughs> it's a dream. Uh, so this is all Batman talking about himself, right? When he says things that fall are fallen, um, he's referring to himself. He's uh, he's he in his dream he's being taken up out of the darkness by these bats, which is important because his psychology is th that he's in the right somehow. He's in this hell, but he's he's in the right. Um, and yeah, it's not true. This okay. This is one of the best things, that Metrop Metropolis, Mankind is introduced to the Superman, that little music, you can hear it, that, that little plinky plink, um, that ding, 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 which is actually the theme for Batman throughout the film, but it's played in this incredibly eerie way, and that little title card, to me, was just, okay, we are, this, this is really happening to this world, that there's a real palpable sense in, um, in these these Snyder films that uh, the fantastic is coming into the real world as opposed to the sort of uh, elastic world that you might see you say with the Marvel films where it's already a kind of cartoonish reality this one is like no we're grounding it as much as possible and this of course is basically Batman's at ground zero of 9-11 right I mean that's that's the obvious analogy that he's going for here and this sort of massive existential cultural awakening that's happening 
to the world because Superman has shown up. And he hasn't just shown up, he's shown up <laughs> this way. Like, and this is all wonderfully synced with the Man of Steel fight. Like, that was a plane that gets taken out by the uh, Zod ship because of the gravity. The gravity knocks the... So, you know, I when it comes to world building what's brilliant about this is the physics of how all these pieces work together so the zod ship uh, and the terraforming ship on the other side of the planet on the indian ocean are shooting gravity through the earth's core going back and forth back and forth back and forth and so they sat down and they were nothing's wasted right nothing's wasted so they sat down and they thought how would a, gr a ship that's generating this gravity pulse work and so airplanes that go th go near it, they shoot their missiles. The missiles get knocked off by the gravity. The planes spin out of control, and we saw that just now as it crashes. Um, and so that, and so all this stuff here, they did a lot of world building of how these things work. And of course, they wouldn't, you know, they can't really work in the real in real life. But it's enough that they're consistent. That there is sort of like, um, that there is a sort of a way of you, you can kind of i guess anticipate how things would work once you know how these things work like it, it, it there's a consistency going forward as opposed to what normally happens which is like you know superman is kind of as strong as he needs to be for the plot it you know and physics is malleable in the way that it needs to be for the plot and so on um whereas in this there's a lot there's a much greater consistency and a greater focus on not just like Superman's tough and strong or whatever, but how that impacts everything around it. So when he's fighting Zod, there's these sort of shock waves going off. And here, you know, the buildings are collapsing and they clearly did their research about what happens at these disasters. I mean, this is this is like uh, the footage I remember from the handheld phones of 9-11, the big dust and everything. And it's expressing character at the same time because Bruce Wayne is the only person in that entire set piece that is moving into danger everyone else is running away or at a standstill he's the only one who charges in so immediately i mean it's, it's funny if you actually stop and think about it he got in a helicopter landed got in a car and drove directly to ground zero and why it seems to get people out of the building right so because he's batman he's a hero right so we're seeing the heroic batman because we're about to lose the heroic batman um we know he's a hero, we know he's got the capacity to be a hero, but this film is going to break him uh, over the course of the story. Um, and we're going to see how that happens. So, <clears throat> yeah. And <laughs> so that's this is the first step in the, how do you get Batman into a position where he's going to kill Superman? Uh, this is the whole film is resting on this case of just... You have to make it so that um, this collision between these two heroes is motivated and um, properly to the point where they're willing to kill. Because if they're not willing to kill each other, then it's an argument. And if it's an argument, then there's no story. And that is how you do it. Uh, that's how you do it. Um and Ben Affleck sells that, right? You just the music as well. Batman's theme tune, this bomb, 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 bomb. That little light motif for him is um is just raging, and and it's funny because that that little 
leitmotif we this film has been going on for what nine minutes now that leitmotif of the bomb 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 is played constantly for those nine minutes um and it's really harsh at some points and at other points it's that eerie single piano key type of play and that's his leitmotif and so that tells you that this is from batman's point of view and the zod ship that warbling sound that that zod ship makes that's part of his leitmotif is played whenever Batman is kind of, you know, whenever his paranoia towards Superman plays up, he hears that theme tune, that theme tune kicks in. So Batman's sort of um, leitmotif and Zod's leitmotif are played to clue you in into his psychology throughout the story. And that whole opening scene is we see a heroic Batman move into danger to save people and at the end of it without any dialogue just by how ben affleck looks at the camera basically and through the leitmotif we understand batman blames superman for what just happened and so that's the first step in setting up what this film is so this film is an action movie obviously but it's in a subgenre called the collision plot which is about uh, heroes fighting the two, uh, the hero role gets split between characters and they have to fight each other and that's very difficult to do because you need to have empathy on both sides of the collision and you need to motivate heroes into killing one another and, and you have to preserve the empathy and it's very difficult because the audience will want to reconcile the collision so you have to somehow make that work and this is the first step he's blaming Superman for the Metropolis incident which makes lots of sense. And this is the uh, beginning of the uh, the Lois Lane subplot, which is her working out... Um, she's going to be uncovering the, uh, the, the, the plot behind uh, turning everyone against Superman. Because this guy's... What's his name? Anatoly something or other? He's the KGB beast. KGB beast, isn't it? Uh, from the comics. So here's... Right. And so here comes Superman, as they expected. So this is this is a nice uh, touch that um, Lex already knows. Like the the main characters involved are too smart to not do their research and find out who's who. It's quite a nice touch, nice insight into these characters, and it, and it's it's part of the the modernization. I mean, when these characters were made. There wasn't television. Really. I mean, what, 1938? People didn't have TV sets in their home. You barely had cinema. And now, of course, everyone has access to the internet. And, and there's cameras everywhere. You have cameras on your phone, high-def cameras on your phone. Um, the idea that these people wouldn't have the kind of information uh, 
necessary to know who Superman is and what he wants and, and all that stuff that they'd know um, so it makes sense that Lex would know about this and of course he sets this up and there's Superman rescuing Lois and and the whole point of that was because those guys they killed all those people they shot them and then they drove off so I think in the ultimate you see them set fire to it as well but you can tell this is all a fabricated testimony um, yeah she's this is all lies um, they're trying to make it seem like Superman um, killed everyone Show that this committee holds him responsible. He'll never answer to you. He answers to no one. Not even I think to God. There you go. Um, Holly Hunter channeling Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> Quite, that's quite funny. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what he should do. Nice, nice one, Adam. Nice. Okay. So there's her clue. This is this is just fun um, stuff where Lois gets to play detective and we get to see how she's an actual journalist and works these things out. Um... Oh, Superman. Hey. I was gonna cook. Surprise you. They held hearings about what happened. They're saying... I don't care. I don't care what they're saying. The woman I love could be blown up or shot. Think of what could have happened. Well, think about what did happen. I didn't kill those men, if that's what they think, if that's what they're saying. What I'm saying, I want to understand what happened. I'm saying thank you for saving my life. I'm saying there's a cost. Hmm. So this is um, <clears throat> playing into a big theme of this story. Um, which is, you know, how, <laughs> how do you be Superman in a world that doesn't want you to be Superman, right? Um... He, th there's a setup, which is we're going to see in the nightmare scene that uh, Lois, without Lois, he has no connection to humanity, and so he he can he can fall. And what's not pointed out in this film, and I don't know how I haven't seen the Snyder Cut yet, and I don't know what's going to come up, what they how they're going to reveal that in the Snyder Cut. But what I do know is. The reason the nightmare scenario happens is not just because Lois dies and then Superman goes evil. Lois dying makes him susceptible to the anti-life equation. That's the whole point. So these little scenes here where he talks about, you know, I, I don't care about what the rest of the world thinks, I'm going to protect you, is a setup to how the anti-life equation can actually affect him through Lois through his love for Lois it can twist that and turn him into 
the um, the Nightmare Superman. So there's all these little consistent setups for things, but that payoff isn't going to come. I don't even know if it comes in Justice League. For all I know, is that's a payoff for Justice League too. But that's what happens when you do long form plotting. Uh, long form plotting, you cannot just um, typically in films. Um, you know, in a movie, it's self-contained. So the setups and the payoffs are in the same movie. In TV, we are now used to a setup paying off hours, hours later. Um, and in this film, there's a bunch of setups that were to be paid off in the next film and the film after and the third one. These were envisioned essentially as a five-film series. And essentially, you can look at it as just um, five seasons, right? This is season two, and this is setting up a payoff for season three or season four or something. Um, and I have a lot of uh, respect for that. It's hard to do. Uh, and here we have the Batman. This is the first introduction of Batman in this universe. They're trying to show you what he is, and of course, we're going to see a Batman that actually is intimidating. Um, you, you, I mean, you get... I mean, they're playing this like he's a horror villain. Um, you get why people are... As the Joker said, you know, they're afraid to go out at night. You know, <laughs> because of this. <laughs> what am I? Look at him. He's, he's he's hanging in the corner. That's great. <laughs> One of the things I I kind of love is people who complain that he's too violent here. Uh, like you are aware that this this dude that he's chained to a radiator and branded with the intent that he'll get killed in prison <laughs> this guy is like a sex trafficker I mean he's it's not like he he robbed a liquor store this is not that kind of situation uh, this is like one of the worst human beings on the planet um jeez I love oh Jeremy Irons I wonder Batman's scary. I mean, he's got Scar as his supporting cast. He's got villains as his supporting cast. This is great. There he is. So all the little... You've got a, a, a something of a narrative difficulty here, which is keeping the audience invested as you're shifting between three or four different points of view, which don't seem to be linking up. So you need to start setting up the collision by linking these things so we know he's on the same trail as the person who was responsible for there so now we're seeing how they're going to connect somehow this music here this is what i mean by the creeping eerie 
uh, fantastic into the into this world. Men fall from the sky. The gods hurl thunderbolts. Innocents die. That's how it starts. The feeling the, the rage. The feeling of powerlessness. It turns good men. Cruel. I mean, that's I love this. I love that. Um, and there we hear, we now know what happened in the 18 months after he, those eggs are so fake, um, we, we now know about the 18 months, so as I said, how do you motivate him, so we know that he is angry, and now Alfred has just contextualized that his anger has manifested in new behavior, Batman didn't used to do this, he's only started doing this, he's turned cruel and violent, something something in him is twisting because he can't he can't do anything about it so they're setting up this motivation of like he why why is batman behaving this way because he can't he's impotent and um this i mean i guess this is a time i could talk about the whole what they've done with batman is very prescient this film came out in what march 2016 so they'd been working on it on 20 in 2015 I think they were casting it in 2014 or whatever, so they were working on it for a couple of years before, and they were very prescient because what happens to Batman is essentially he gets radicalized um, by a conspiracy theory. Uh, and today we are quite um, aware of that, quite tragically, um, with you know with Brexit and Trump and all these things. Uh, people people get radicalized by these things, uh, and conspiracy theories. They always work the same way. I mean, a conspiracy theory, uh, the way you make a conspiracy theory work, the way you can, sorry, the, rather you can, the way you can tell something is a conspiracy theory is people who believe it are not just passionate about the belief. They are, they take their ignorance of first-hand sources and uh, actual information as a virtue. They think their ignorance is somehow liberating them from truth. Uh, from um, from lies, when in fact it just means they don't know anything about it. All these conspiracy theories, they never, ever, ever pay attention to first-hand sources. People who think, like, you know, the government has an earthquake laser or whatever it is, people who think the Earth is flat, uh, that moon landing didn't happen, that uh, all Muslims are involved in Tarkia. I mean, all racism is a conspiracy theory, and it thrives. I mean, you, uh, the most bog standard level every racist is massively passionate about the race that they hate and yet they know no one of that race they know nothing of the culture they know nothing of it because the first step of conspiracy theory is ignore all the first-hand sources you'd never listen to the to the to the people who work in it like you don't listen to the scientists you don't listen to politicians you don't listen to any of that stuff and that's true even when you're the president donald trump held on to his conspiracy theories and he famously he never read anything he never listened to anyone he never because he but he was the president if he wanted to go to area 51 he could why didn't he because he doesn't that's not how conspiracy theorists think so batman batman is trapped in this right he is sitting there in his bat cave from a distance studying superman and yet he is not actually engaging with superman he's not talking to him He's not trying to sort it out. He's not... I mean, he's Bruce Wayne, right? He has a lot of power. 
He could do a lot of things, but he's not. He's just sat in his cave, brooding, thinking, feeling impotent, getting radicalized, pumping himself full of that paranoia and that nightmare stuff in the same way that incels are constantly just, you know, watching these YouTube channels that tell them how to hate women and all this stuff. Like, he's just, that's the world that he's in, and he's in this paranoid fantasy world. And what's interesting is we, <laughs> is how that we empathize with him. Because it's funny, a lot of people complained because Superman, of what Superman did in Man of Steel, the the big fight. They blamed Superman for that fight, and it's like, yeah, that's that's wrong, right? He tried to save everyone, and people who blame Superman were wrong to do that. Well, Batman's blaming them, and so he he tapped into this. They tapped into this thing that, like, from you know, you saw Man of Steel from Superman's point of view. Um, but if you saw it from someone else's point of view, it just looks like this horrible inter-alien fight and, you know, so <clears throat> they just, they, they played that conspiracy thing and they take you through it piece by piece, piece by piece. And we don't know at this moment, we don't know Batman is currently looking for a weapon to kill Superman. We don't know that he's lied to Alfred about the dirty bomb. We don't really know why he's looking up. The KG Beast. We don't know what the KG Beast's link is to Lex and Superman. We don't fully understand what's going on with all these things yet. But we do know that um, this film is called Batman Superman for a reason, right? So we know it's going somewhere. So we don't know exactly what, so we can stay in empathy with Batman. And empathy is an interesting thing because in children's stories, uh, empathy and sympathy are the same thing. Uh, you empathize with what you sympathize. That's how kids sort of think, and that's how it works. But with adult drama, it's the other way around. Um, you empathize with unsympathetic people. Actors love taking those kind of roles and getting people to empathize with people who aren't very sympathetic. You know, Walter White's and Tony Sopranos and so on. Um, and people, I think, come in for these franchises, and uh, they did not know that that was the game that they were watching an adult drama version of these characters um and so as a result superman batman is particularly unsympathetic luke skywalker is unsympathetic in the last jedi andrew garfield was <clears throat> somewhat unsympathetic in the amazing spider-man but um they're all very empathetic i mean luke skywalker was, was amazing in the last jedi andrew garfield was an astonishingly good or you could say an amazingly good Spider-Man. Um, ben Affleck's an incredible Bruce Wayne, but I think people aren't prepared for that genre shift, and they reacted poorly. <laughs> this is some great... There's some great subtext here. I mean... <laughs> how, do you, how do you show that Lex Luthor has total control? Um... Villains uh, need to have an aura of power around them. You need to make the heroes an underdog. So how do you make Superman and Batman an underdog versus Lex Luthor? And one way is you start showing how Lex Luthor um, has total control over the government. I mean, he's, I mean that cherry moment is very... He's uh, got a great bit of subtext there. Just how, how in control he is. He can feed this guy... Sweets.
and so some of the things I was talking over, you know, we're starting to see Superman uh, react to the world reacting to like a one-man right of terror. This bat vigilante has been consistently targeting the port and the adjacent projects and tenements, and as far as I can tell, the cops are actually helping him. Crime wave. <laughs> <laughs> Other breaking water. Wet. <laughs> Perry White's so good. Why aren't we covering this? Poor people don't buy papers? People don't buy papers, period, Ken. Perry, when you assign a story, you're making a choice about who matters and who's worth it. Good morning, Smallville. The American concert died. With Robert, Martin, and John. Yeah. So there you've got Superman, and he's <clears throat> he's trying to inspire, as Clark Kent, what we all wanted, right? Uh, which is media holding people accountable. And uh, they're not interested. There's no money in it, uh, and they're bleeding, they're hemorrhaging money and readership. Perry White, you know, it seems like the planet is. On the verge of bankruptcy. Coach, no <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, they're haggling over money and stuff, right? Um, and Clark Kent wants them to do the right thing and tell truth, and like Perry's like, that's not how this works. That's not the world that they live in. And that, it's a very important thing that that's how this works. You see, how do you make Superman an underdog? Um, it's not enough that Lex is going to have two missiles, you know, that fire into opposite ends of the planet or whatever. The whole world, all its political systems, the people he wants to save, everything is causing conflict for him. Everything. He's, he's facing conflict in every aspect of the, of the external world. He's facing conflict inside himself um, because he... If you notice, whenever he's Clark Kent, he's very morally convicted. He's got the great conviction of his morals. He's very indignant and so on. But when he's Superman, he is hesitant, he's conflicted, and he doesn't know what to do. Because when he's Superman, he has the power to do whatever he wants. And so it's, it's incumbent on him to make the right choice. And he doesn't know what the right choice is. But when he's Clark Kent, he doesn't have power. And so when he sees there's a right choice to do, he can just say, we should do this. And he's trying to get other people to make that choice for him because he's a regular person. So he can kind of be himself. He can be as indignant as he wants. Um, so Superman is just wrestling with conflict on every aspect of his life about who he is, what his purpose is, what he should be doing in this world. And... Um, and that makes him an underdog because you just look at the scope of what he has to face. And uh, and it's getting to him. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to you know openly go out and sincerely be yourself and everyone is projecting um, the worst motivations onto you. Um, and that's what he's dealing with. Uh, and, it's, and it's breaking him and it hurts. And... Yeah, I've talked about this on, on Twitter and, and so on, but this is the first time Superman feels like an immigrant because um, he's dealing with racism. Uh, yeah, I told you, racism is like a conspiracy theory. Batman's trapped in a paranoid 9-11 nightmare. 
Well, he's, I mean, look at the dreams he's having. He's having these crazy dreams, like his, his something's going to come out of the, um, the tomb in a second. Um, let's see, it's, uh, I mean, he's, he's really messed up, uh, Batman. Uh, so, again, you know, the underdog thing, the psychology of it, his, his own inner mind is war warring against him. Um, as well as the fact that he's up against, you know, this Kryptonian and all this stuff. But, um, uh, uh, Superman, um, Zack Snyder took his, uh, I mean, just Justice League is, is in memory of his daughter and his daughter was, uh, adopted and she was, uh, adopted from China. And so he got it. I mean, he paid attention to his daughter and he realized the, the wrestling she was dealing with it with her identity and who and her purpose in the world and what value she brought to things and um uh, and so he got all that and so there's Superman and he goes you know uh, people wouldn't treat him nicely he just wouldn't and and uh, society all our institutions wouldn't wouldn't protect him because they don't they never do they never protect uh, minorities or anything like that and so he knew he'd be dealing with all this racism and he understood what it what it actually feels like um because you're you're there and you're being yourself and you're being sincere and people aren't reacting to you like a human being uh that's how that works you are not treated like a human being you're treated as something else they don't look at you uh, like that way I've sadly personally experienced this where you're talking to someone and then as soon as you know the fact I'm a Muslim comes up it's like they change and they start talking to you differently and it's like do you not remember I was here just <laughs> I was here just at the beginning of this conversation and now I've disappeared and you're talking to me as if it, it's, it's such a bizarre feeling and you'll notice in this film they don't Batman doesn't talk about Superman like a human being they don't talk about him like a human being they're constantly referring to him as an alien and things like that and so Superman when he's Clark Kent gets to be treated like a human being but as soon as the glasses come off he's not a human being anymore he's not a person he doesn't have a humanity people treat him as something completely different they either exalt him or they insult him and and uh, or they fear him and uh, they can't see him they can't see him and uh, that hurts uh, that cuts right through and uh, it's it's hurting Superman and that is how they're going to motivate him into the fight uh, because they're going to just take away his optimism and his hope piece by piece just as they're taking away uh, Batman's um, I guess uh, his conscience, his uh, his principles, piece by piece. I mean, look, he's walking around this thing and he's seeing all these horrors. <clears throat> you know, he wanted to go in as Batman. No, he's going to go in as Bruce. He's trying to get something done. He's trying to do it. Um, so we can tell. There's the burnt down Wayne Manor. We can tell he's he's up to something. He wants to do something uh, with with Superman. We're not exactly sure what his plan is. We're not sure what Lex's plan is. We know he's got kryptonite and everything. 
And so they're setting the pieces up. We know enough about these characters and their world and, you know, the rules of how powers work and kryptonite and all that stuff that we can start to piece it all together. We're seeing that Lois is working out that Lex was somehow behind what happened um, in, was it Nairobi? Uh, and we know that Bruce is on the trail that will probably lead him to the kryptonite. We know Lex has got the kryptonite and we know the kryptonite is going to be necessary to get Superman and we know Superman is um, uh, aware of Batman and does not like what he's doing. But they're not all in the position they need to be. We cannot have the big fight yet. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Just immediately hears, hears it and knows Bruce Wayne's Batman. I love that. I love that so much. Oh, that's a cute little thing. He talks about Zeus and in a silly way, and Wonder Woman is just like, ugh. That's <laughs> cute, I never picked up on that. That's adorable. Um... This is great stuff. Uh, sorry, I really like this film, and so sometimes I'll stop talking because I'm too engrossed in it. Uh, <laughs> also, I don't have uh, I don't have Luke with me, and Luke is normally the one who keeps me on track, so I might be rambling and not finishing my thoughts. You need to let me know if I'm doing that. Um, uh, here's an interesting thing. Um, Snyder. Snyder's casting decisions. Um, it's 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 very sad, the kind of way people talk about him. Um, I say people, certain certain people, in critics and whatever. They 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 keep projecting these things onto him uh, about, and they're just nonsense. Mercy is a sidekick of Lex in the comics and she's a blonde white woman and in this she's Asian um, he was given the keys to the DC universe and was told to do whatever he wanted and um, he casts an incredibly diverse cast for all these characters um, I think really the only ones he kept were Superman and Batman because of their iconic looks everyone else has been changed oh this is such a great one I love this scene's great. The subtext here is great. Right. He's pretending he doesn't know he's Superman. He's letting him know, I know you're Batman. And now. <laughs> and now there's the. There it is. <laughs> I mean, like, they know. See? An alien. The way he says it. Right? And look how that affects him. And now he's calling him a serial killer. Right? That's what he's done. He's just told him he's a serial killer. And Lex comes in pretending he doesn't know 
and he know. <laughs> and he says that knowing he's hacking his system. There you go. Um, can you not hear me, or is that you can hear me, right? You can hear me fine. It's just a bit choppy. Oh dear, that's not good. Well, we'll have to see. I tested recording this beforehand and it seemed fine. But maybe it's just the connection, the internet's connection. Because um, if it's the internet connection, that's not a big deal because then that means the microphone's recording fine and oh, I can just put it up. You are on the other side of the planet. <laughs> You're right, Jordan. It might just be that. We'll see. And so... And there he goes. Off to do the right thing. Uh, Adam is just saying, I hadn't realised how much the film is set up. A lot of recent movies seem to feel they need to have constant action, but this is just as compelling. More so, if anything, there hasn't been any real... Like, this... We've, we are 42 minutes into the film and um, Batman and Superman have yet to... That was the first time they interacted uh, as Clark and Bruce. Um, this film knows they really don't get another... You can't... I mean... It's what I was saying about the collision plot. You have to build up the motivation of the, of the colliding heroes. You cannot... Um, just you have to that the whole fun of that kind of story is on their motivation so you've got to take the time to set it up and so here we are 43 minutes now in and we're and he's just taking it in time here's batman here's superman back and forth so here we have a bit more for superman now right everyone is talking about what should superman do right this is essentially superman's inner monologue that's what's going on in his head Right? All this. And you notice what he's doing, right? Superman is not going around deposing tyrants and punching people. He's literally only doing disaster relief. And that's why Lois earlier on says, you know, thank you for saving me, but it's another echo of what... Um, uh, his father told him in Man of Steel about, you know, maybe you don't save the kids in the bus. He, uh, Superman cannot just go out and do whatever he wants because it that's not necessarily the right thing to do in the first place. But So he's going for really clear black and white situations. He's just going down, saving people who are about to die, which in turn makes people's worry about him all the more tragic because he's not the only time he gets involved in anything political is when he saves Lois otherwise it's all disaster relief and look at and from his point of view like that's not someone asking a human being right 
they're not seeing him as a human. So everyone is either terrified of him um, or they're exalting him. Right? And he can't just... There it is. And see? He just shakes his head like, what, what the hell do you do? I mean, what can he do about that? Uh, how would you make Superman an underdog? That's how. Like, you're using his conscience. It's great. <clears throat> it's really great. Um, how do you make him an underdog? Um, Who the hell are you? <laughs> such a jerk. Yeah. Well, what do you want? help you stand for something Oof. so there's a little uh, thing that Lex does a little character trick tick they gave him which is he he drops keywords into statements uh, to let people know like it, he does little things it's a show off thing he does it's quite cute uh, I don't think it's in this version but in the ultimate version he says um, manners on the wane uh, no, what was it? He says, um, uh, he, he's with, he's with Batman and he says something like, uh, I can't remember. He says something like, uh, civilizations on the Wayne manors out the window. And so, you know, Wayne Manor. I love this. This is, talk about diversity. Perry White is not white. Um, and, geez, Lawrence Fishburne, what oh, a great choice. Uh, but there you go, right? There's Batman, uh, There's Superman once again. He wants the right thing to be done, and he's happy to play by the rules, and the rules will not let him do the right thing. Uh, and he can break those rules. So should he just break them? Should he just, I mean, what does he do? He's trying to do it the... You know that there's that phrase of the, the you know the, the peaceful protest when people said you should protest peacefully when people were marching in the streets and all this for the Black Lives Matter and the women's rights marches and all this stuff. They should do it pro peacefully. And so when a sports a personality takes a knee, suddenly that's an insult. And it's like you don't believe in that stuff. The rules are designed. You're never allowed to actually challenge power you're never allowed to stand up for these things it's not something you're allowed to do and so there's uh, on one hand is Clark Kent he's trying to do it properly and affect change through systems that's not working as Superman he's trying to affect change through inspiration by just saving people and doing good and trying to get trust and that's not working because everyone is so um, against him and um, what does he do I mean, if he starts doing what he wants to do as Clark, as Superman, uh, he there's a reason everyone would be really scared. Uh, and it would spark things, and it would get much worse. So what does he do? He has to build their trust, right? And here's Wonder Woman. And this is great. There's a great, wonderful sense of intrigue of who is she, what's she up to. I mean, we know she's Wonder Woman, but we don't know what she's doing and what her plan is and how is she going to fit into this story. We don't really know. Um, so there's a wonderful level of just how to keep 
your interest as they keep setting things up slowly burning the story and so you just keep drip feeding little pieces of oh what's the nightmare scene I'm talk uh, you know i'm talking there's all this foreshadowing of things to come and you're wondering how this is paying off and here we have the nightmare scene this would have been uh, justice league two or three this this hell I remember when I first saw this film, I couldn't believe we were seeing this. Uh, I mean, Marvel spent 10 years building up to Thanos and like just constantly teasing us. I mean, you know, I love the Marvel movies to some extent, but what I really hated was the way they did the long-form storytelling because it was just obviously improvised. It was lots of empty teases that never went anywhere. And here, like straight away... Uh, I remember Mark Gattis and Stephen Moffat talking about Sherlock, the one they did with um, Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, originally, they wanted to tease Moriarty for a long, long time, and then they just went, "Why bother? Why not just have it? Why not have him straight away?" And uh, that's why the first two seasons of Sherlock, I think, were so good. They just went straight to Moriarty and, and developed it. Uh, and this, to throw this in straight away at this moment, just kicks the story into. You know, we're wondering where's where are all these? How are all these things clicking together? Where's this story going? And to just go like it's going here. This is where we're going. Um, it gives you a sense of dramatic irony because now this is important as well. The dramatic irony because we're looking into how and why this would end up be, being the case. So we're looking for deeper motivations. And so now, these characters that, as I said, are normally kids' characters that are empathetic and sympathetic and rather shallow and they don't necessarily have a lot of subtext, this film is like, you need to pay attention to the subtext. Uh, if you look deep into these characters, there's stuff going on in there, so it's worth your while. And how do we get the audience to want to even look like down that place? Well, we make the characters say unsympathetic, so now you're looking down into the empathy. We've got Ben Affleck playing him. Um, and we've got this. We've got this. Parademons. I couldn't believe we saw parademons this early. I couldn't get... I, I still can't get over it. Like, it's an apocalypse. <laughs> it's dark side. Um, and so we're going to be looking now into the story, into the subtext, to try and understand how and why this comes about. And one of the big clues that's missing um, from this that would have been paid out later which is not only the backstory of what happens to Lois, um, but the fact that this is a Superman gripped by the anti-life equation. And where the anti-life equation came from is a brilliant setup as well. Um, uh, I don't know if I should tell you, because it, I don't think it's in Justice League, but I could tell you if people want me to say what the, what the setup is of where the anti-life equation is. Um, there is... Um, uh, uh, what happened to Lois um, apparently at this moment the idea in Justice League was um, Batman and, and Lois get together and they have a kid uh, and so that's what he's referring to here but they were going to change that so um, it's fine really I think oh this I st I c yeah this I just can't get over it straight off the bat boom
grunts and annoys. Uh, talking about the, the the physics of this world, that time travel. Okay, so by the way, all the papers fluttering around tell you that wasn't a dream. That's how you know that really happened. Um, that the way um, Flash shows up, there's a sense of like this is really tough, painful. I I wonder if Flash actually survives that. I don't know. Um, but you can tell that there's um, there's a, a reality to to him doing that a uh, little time travel trick. It's not just like um, you know he presses a button on his Ant Man suit and time travels. <laughs> like I I know it sounds like I'm insulting Endgame. I liked Endgame very much, but the time travel stuff I thought was the way they got into the time travel was not uh particularly a, a particularly good example of world building you know tony stark just developing it and then having a button it's like well now they have a time machine and that's a problem going forward whereas this you know there's rules in it in fact the rules of the time travel are fascinating um they they can't try and travel anywhere they want they have to time travel to when the earth is in a similar position to when they're time traveling to because of the planet moves so they have to factor in space as as well which i really like so there's only two options and that's that comes up later anyway in whichever justice league i don't know um uh that's lex luther by the way sending the photos um so again pushing these characters into a fight and once we see how and, and, you, and you notice right but how do we get we're pushing batman towards superman we have the nightmare scene we have this scene, and in cut in between it, we have um, Flash. Oh, sorry, uh, Superman getting the photography, uh, the photos. And here, here's Batman laying out what his plan is and what he's going to do, which is he's planning to murder Superman. And yeah, that's that's him, right? He's not staying good, and he can't see it. So we're thinking, you know, we want him, we want him to be Batman, and we get we, but we get why he's on this. We get it. Like you go, geez, yeah, Superman is quite scary. Uh, so you're going back and forth between these two things. You're you're an empathy with Batman, but you don't necessarily um, agree with where he is, but you have empathy with him. Um, because <clears throat> the way you have empathy is you look for the center of good in a world. There's a value-charged landscape and um, uh, you look for the positives. And so, and whatever that positive might be. And in this, Batman is the only one the only one who is actively trying to do something good, uh, if that makes sense. What he's doing is wrong, and we don't think it's good, but we 
we kind of empathize with with the fact that he's very proactive everyone else is reactive or inactive in some way but batman isn't batman is is actively going out there and so his active his activity his lack of uh, hesitation is actually very empathetic it draws us in superman on the other hand uh is the only person in the film who has a who seems to have a real genuine conscience and wants everyone to be better everyone else is kind of happy to accept the world as it is and even though that the world that as it is is horrible he's the only one who wants it to be better even batman doesn't want it to be better so we empathize with them in different ways if we empathize with them in the exact same way for the exact same reasons we'd just be like guys you want the same thing why are you fighting so the fact that these characters are polarized in that way makes us empathize with them and uh, even though we don't necessarily like what batman is doing or how he is even though also he's batman i mean he's cool right <laughs> he's Affleck. like which is just cool um but i think some people are genuinely like why is batman not nice you know i i want to like my superheroes is like he's not a likable person he's he this i mean this guy right now is going after terrorists and sex traffickers uh in order to murder superman like he's not this is not a time for him to be like i don't i don't know you know it's just it's just i don't know it makes perfect sense to me uh adam you've said limits on the magic what does that mean was that in response to did you want me to follow up on something? Yeah, the time travel. Did you want me to follow up on it, or or or, or did, I, did I like abandon it halfway through? Oh, I was pointing out the limits. Yeah, that's this. You're, okay, yes, you're quite right. There, there are limits on the time travel. Uh, they can't just teleport to any time, any place. There's certain limits in place, so it means the audience there's a consistency of rules that the audience can then play with and that means they have expectations that you can then reverse and, and generate um, generate turning points the way that it works coincidence is when something just happens out of nowhere without any reason contrivance is when something happens and it's logical and it's set up but there's no insight it's just it just happens and that's a contrivance right so they set up the rules of time travel in Endgame, for example, but there's no real insight into it. It's just this is just how it works, right? Whereas in Batman, in the in the Snyderverse, the way that the time travel works, the rule uh, actually gives us a rush of insight because you realise how smart these characters are to plan specifically when when these things are, and also it lets the writers, in this case Snyder and Terrio, set up a really brilliant dichotomy because that uh I'm, I'm i'm this is a bit of spoiler i guess so i apologize um if but i don't know if this happens in the snyder cut but this is what was going to happen um oh wait hold on i've got to talk about this look look we're talking about power and magic watch this watch as he hits him with the car and he doesn't flinch <laughs> amazing like how strong he is right um and uh yeah um yeah you're right adam uh superman's problem is that he has no real 
uh, he he doesn't uh, he he's as strong as they need him to be and so on and you need to have certain sense of um of what he's capable of otherwise uh, he becomes a walking contrivance <laughs> this is so good. Look at Superman's face there, right? He's he's trying to intimidate Batman, right? That's what he's doing. He's trying to intimidate him. He doesn't know there's kryptonite in that thing. He doesn't know anything about that. It was the worst possible time <laughs> for him to do that. So he shows up. Um, and Batman is just like, yeah, you can't scare me. <laughs> just, I love that. And he's so... And, like, the way Superman looks at him and walks away, that was Superman trying to not have the fight. He doesn't want the fight, right? Um, and so we know Superman is not in a position to get into this fight. So we, Superman's not motivated. But Batman? Batman would have taken him right then and there if he did the kryptonite. He would have just gone straight for him. Um... Uh, so just to quickly go back to the the time travel um, by saying that they can only go back to a specific point where the planets are in the same position in the past so you don't have to navigate through space um, he, he, they created a situation where there's two possibilities where they can send Flash back so as a result in the in Justice League 2 or 3 or whatever it is, Batman can say, where would you have sent Flash if I wasn't here? If I wasn't asking you? And they go, well, I would have sent him this one. It's like, you send him in the other one because you sent him there and that didn't work. It was too early and I didn't know what he was talking about. You need to send him to the other one, right? Hence the, am I too soon? Ah, I'm too soon, right? So the second chance, and so of course it means now that they have this great thing where they can set up when would be the worst possible moment for the second shot right and that can be the time flash comes in and so they work that out so it's a great way of like you're 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 sort of stacking the deck in your favor you've got your you know instead of just going like well they can just make you've got you've created these rules that inspire you to come up with something really cool and interesting as opposed to just like well i can press a button and they can like what was it they have one charge like, yeah, they have one charge, but they they break that. You know, they go back to the pine particle, pin particles, and the seventies, and it's like, well, once they come back to the future and they have more pin particles, they can just go back again, and they can just keep going back and forth in time. And at the end of the film, they just casually let Captain America go back and drop off all the Infinity Stones, and it's like they've got a time machine. Like that, that's what happens in Endgame, and that kind of breaks breaks it a bit, but. The you know in Endgame's case, <laughs> Endgame is such a wonderful film. It's so engaging and it's so much fun. It's you just go you know what I'm going to ignore that stuff because if I if I pick at that stuff I'm not I'm going to be upset. So I'm not going to pick at it. I'm just going to leave it be. Um, but it's nice when you have something where if you do sort of pick at it, it doesn't doesn't it gets better rather than than worse. It ages that's what aging well does. Um, but it's it's you know different flavor of ice cream. It's fine. Um, if you're not breaking people's deal, if it's not a deal breaker, if uh, if people are happy with it, doesn't matter. Uh, there's no, <clears throat> you know, there's no right wrong way to do that stuff. You, you do it the way you want, and uh, if people are going on for the ride, it doesn't matter. 
Um, and I loved Endgame. That that bit that stuff annoyed me, but it got my my feeling is they didn't use the time travel to get out of the story. They used time travel to get into the story, and so I'm okay with it. Um, because to me, like, yeah, you give them the premise. Yeah, they want to get into it. Let them get into it. And then the, the fun can happen. Finish. Um, it doesn't rest on time travel solving the story for them. Uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, on the other hand, they did a great job with, right? Because they came up with the rule that he has to close his hand to use the gauntlet. So that created. They used that to its great degree. Had all this fantastic choreography about stopping Thanos from closing his hand. Uh, in both films, so that stuff was excellent. So I'm just—I want to make it clear I'm not bashing on Endgame. I'm, I really like Endgame. Um, I think it's excellent, uh, but I think the time travel here is the way they've done it is very, very good. Um, there you go. He doesn't return them. Lex returns them and sends them back with all this nonsense written on it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Hamza, uh, Chris Terrio needs a lot of praise. He wrote Argo, he's an Oscar-winning screenwriter. Uh, when Ban Affleck came on, they brought Chris Terrio with him, and Chris Terrio did a lot of work to build this world up. Uh, Chris Terrio actually was talking about, before Justice League came out and everything bad went down, when it was still going he said he was said how much he loved writing justice league because of the he 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 the example he gave was you know one day i'm studying the physics of redshift uh and so that was obviously him talking about how they were designing the time travel story or maybe something else i don't know but he clearly was rolling his sleeves up to get into the science of it to come up with really interesting rules and and uh, repercussions for how all this fantastic stuff would work so that he had ammunition to turn into scenes that would then create payoffs and insight. Um, uh, Lois has worked out the plot of what Lex is up to, but it's too late. Um, that's paid off now. And here's where it's all coming together, right? Uh, everything's been slowly building to these characters getting into a fight. Uh, Superman has finally finally decided to do something which is stand in front of everyone um yep you're right hamza there's a whole bunch of anti-alien signage outside and it is extremely prescient that was 2016 uh and he basically basically terrio and snyder were doing marga rallies months before marga rallies started because remember this film would have been done in 2015 And they would have been planning it in 2014. So uh, that's worth pointing out, by the way. This film was in pre-production for three years. That does not happen with most superhero films, most action films. They are nowhere near that. They, they don't have. He, they spent three years building up the Justice League trilogy, um, and this five-film arc. They spent three years casting it, researching it, building it, doing all that stuff. And Justice League is like the big payoff and setup. And uh, you don't get that. Like, you just don't get that kind of pre-production into things. I think Ant-Man was in pre-production for eight years, and in the end, at the very last minute, Edgar Wright dropped out over creative differences, apparently. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not common that that happens. He really took it. They really did a lot. And she realizes just what's gone wrong. 
I mean, this is Lex showing off, right? She realizes he's not there, and it's too late. And he heard, hears the bomb too late. Um, I noticed no one said anything. There was no music. This is what I was talking about with subtext. Um, if you're not prepared to, to actually... This is done like a proper... Uh, not proper, that's the wrong word. This is done like a... a you know, an adult drama. Uh, you've got to pay attention to the actor's behaviors and the gestures and the subtext. And if you don't, you're going to miss out on plot points. This, you know, you, uh, and look at this. Look at look, this is this scene here. There, he's made the decision. I'm going to kill him. And nothing, not one word of dialogue. And why? Because we know what's going on in Batman's head and uh, he blames himself he blames himself uh, f that his waiting around has um, let people get out of control and blow things up they, he doesn't you know no one thinks Superman blew up the place they all know that this, this uh, Wally guy did but in, in Bruce's mind Wally lost his legs because of the Metropolis thing uh, he refused the checks uh, what Superman did drove Wally to madness and Batman is upset because he didn't stop it uh, and he tried to and he didn't sending checks wasn't enough this wasn't enough remember what I said about empathy and how you empathize for different reasons Batman is the only one who is like I know what I have to do so I'm going to do it and I'm angry I haven't done it already whereas everyone else is like oh what should I do uh, and Lex Luthor is like the world is it's fine as it is. <laughs> and Perry White and all these characters are like, this is just how the world is, too bad. And now Superman's going to question that. Didn't see it. Clark, there are people behind this. I'm afraid I didn't see it because I wasn't looking. See that? I wasn't looking. All this time. I don't care. Huh. He doesn't feel like Superman, so how can he be Superman, right? He just wants to be himself. Like, he wants to be... <laughs> he wants to be... My world doesn't exist anymore. That's a lovely setup that's going to come back. He doesn't feel connected to humanity because humanity doesn't treat him. I mean, this is a macro version of, you know, for example, myself uh, living in England. Before Brexit, England felt like home, and now it doesn't. This isn't my world anymore, right? I like, I totally and utterly get that. That this isn't my world anymore, right? Um, I'm. He's tired of playing a person. Uh, you know, 
Superman is characterization. That's not who he really is. Uh, he wants that to be who he really is, but that's not who he is. When he says, you know, I wasn't looking, he's basically, you know, I've given up. I did. I just didn't want to. Didn't want to think about it. I'm so tired and angry and so on. And that's a, that. I mean, that's that's just human, right? We all get that that feeling of just I cannot keep putting on this brave face anymore, right? That's Superman. Uh, that's what they did with Superman. And the, one of the joys about these characters sort of maturing, as it were. Uh, mature sounds uh, a little derogatory to the other versions, and I don't mean it in that way. But the idea that they're aimed at a more emotionally uh, nuanced age, age demographic, I guess, is the wonderful thing about it is these childhood characters get to grow up with us. And when you're a kid, these characters, stories are equipment for living. So when you're a kid, these kids help you. You know, there's always that thing about, you know, I could take on being bullied because I had my superhero comics and so on. These kids help you at that level. When they stay there, okay, that's fine. The next generation of kids get to engage with them in the same way you did, and that's wonderful. But when they're able to grow up with you, these things get to accompany you through life, teaching you more nuanced and different lessons as they go through. And for me, you know, I've always liked Superman. I've always loved him. And I like the Christopher Reeve Superman. The Christopher Reeve Superman is basically, um, he's your friend. That's how Christopher Reeve framed him, said him. He's like, he's, he's, he's the friend. You know, the kid who reads comics is on their own. They don't spend a lot of time with people, uh, but they've got Superman and he's their friend, right? That's very much the feeling you get if you watch Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, and it's wonderful. But at some point, you get you grow older, and that's not really what you need anymore. And in this case, uh, you've got this thing where, like, yeah, um, this is how horrible sort of uh, peer pressure, or not peer pressure, but like racism and so on, can be. Um, it just makes you not want to be you anymore. Uh, you stop seeing yourself reflected in other people's eyes, and then you start wondering who you really are, uh, and you don't know where you belong, and then. So having Superman go through that, it's like that's means something. It's good. And here we are having Wonder Woman setups. And so Lexus been following all these characters. Oh, and here comes Wonder Woman's theme tune. Oh, it's such a good theme tune. Oh wait, I don't think is he gonna go through the full There it is. <laughs> oh, what a great theme tune. There's Zod. And so another thing about world building when you're very um when you're very limp when you when you really build a world with certain rules and how they work you get to reuse it again and again nothing goes to waste so the fact that Zod's body is still there is now a resource they can use in the storytelling and we get a little rush of insight because now we think of course he didn't obliterate him or anything he just you know he broke his neck and so and here's Lex doing his whole thing he wanted 
foreign genetic material. And he's making the doomsday. You flew too close to the sun. Advising. Action forbidden. It has been decreed by the Council of Krypton that none will ever again give life to a deformity so hateful to sight and memory. The desecration without name. And where is the Council of Krypton? Destroy them, sir. Then proceed. So, Very well. this is a great. I'm, I'm talked a lot about Lex and how wonderful this character is. The way he's done. I mean, we're talking about. I was talking about diversity and so on. Um, uh, literally, as I said that, um, we get this um, uh, Asian woman. I think is she Asian or is she Indian? I'm not sure. Um, this not not white version. Of what people are calling Jenny Olsen as a replacement for Jimmy. Uh, you know that was, she got way more screen time in Man of Steel, um, Jenny, and she was um, quite a cool character in that film. Little su secondary character, but that she was the face of the Daily Planet, other than Lois and Perry. And so there's only you know one white face among them, and it's not like Jimmy Perry and Lois and Clark and everyone. You know, it's all diverse. It's really nice. Um, Lex is very smart. We see how smart he is. He got the. He used the Kryptonian fingerprints. He, he used Krypton, uh, Kryptonite to cut off the fingerprints to turn into a, a palm print so he could access the thing, convince it that he was in charge, uh, that he's Zod. Then he uses that. Uh, when he cuts his hand, he cries because it actually hurts. And Lex is not like a Superman character. It, just, it really hurts him. Um, and that's all... It's all stuff of... Um, Lex is it seems ingenious because he's using all these things that we knew existed. He's not just making it up as he goes along. Uh, and this is another scene where we see Superman's in a monologue again, dramatized by people talking. You see, how do you dramatize inner conflict in cinema with visuals? How do you do it? Well, in this case, they literally have people talking what his thoughts are, and so. This is brilliant. Uh, I love Jonathan Kent. I love Kevin Costner is astonishingly good as Jonathan Kent, they, and their insight into John Kent is 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 brilliant. Um, yeah. Yeah. There he is saying, "It's not enough just to want to do the right thing." There's faith. There's goodness. Well. Cav You're right, Hamza. Cavill's performance is excellent. Um, there's the uh, Pa Kent, the Smallville light motif. I love that. Um, that scene is just wonderful. Um, the whole thing with John Kent is, you know he knows just how powerful Superman is how, and just like you can't do even doing the right thing doesn't necessarily always work the way you want it to and it's just like that's great stuff sorry I'm going to get distracted I love this film Um, 
Adam, both both of Superman's parents are Robin Hood, Russell Crowe and Kevin Costner. Just saying. <laughs> This is interesting. Watch this. What's he talking about? They were hunters. Pelts and skins, right? He's not going after a man. He's going after an animal. Exactly, Hamza. It's dehumanization. This is how he's justifying murder. He cannot he cannot kill Superman if he believes he's a human being. He has to dehumanize him before he can do it. And so uh, and this is going to have an incredible payoff later, but he has to constantly dehumanize him in his head. He cannot possibly. Uh, and that's why, I mean, as I was talking about conspiracy theories, it's all dehumanization. And to dehumanize people, you have to distance yourself. That's why they can't talk to first-hand sources. That's why you, if you, if you believe a conspiracy theory, you don't go talking to people who are actually involved in the supposed conspiracy. It's always from a distance. You cannot engage with these people in a human way because if you do, your the conspiracy will fall apart because it's such nonsense. The, the I mean, in epistemology, which is the study of knowledge, um, the way we know something. The majority of our knowledge comes from testimony. Like, the reason you believe things are true almost exclusively, it's like almost everything. Like, why do you, you know, how, you know, electricity works, that Malta is real or whatever, is not because you know those things firsthand, but because so many people have independently said this is how this works, and their attestation is independent of one another, that the only way. You could say Malta isn't real is if you think every person who says they they have a family member from Malta, they've been to Malta, if everyone is in is lying. Everyone has to be lying. You have to reject testimony and instead put create a conspiracy. That's the only way that you have to reject all first hand knowledge, all first hand sources, all direct testimony, all evidence, all that stuff. It just has to all go out the window. So conspiracy theories reject a principle of knowledge. That is the overwhelming principle of how we know almost anything as individuals. Like, for example, <clears throat> take any scientific thing. The majority of science is not believed because people have done the evidence, they've researched the data, they've actually done the experiments or anything like that. They believe it because other people ha said, we did this experiment and these were our results. And then scientists peer review that and say yes we agree this what you're saying is true and then we believe those scientists that that's true and so on and the and the reason is it's all independent and so if you start saying that everyone involved is lying you create a conspiracy and you can only keep that up if you dehumanize everyone because you have to say everyone is lying to you all the time right uh, and that's what's dehumanizing. It's not you just think they're wrong. You think they're lying. Everyone is lying, and you cannot live like that. If you keep thinking everyone is lying, you turn into a paranoid, right? And and then you have to start putting all these motivations behind them and everything. And you just and conspiracy theories are everywhere. The whole belief that the Snyder Cut didn't exist was a conspiracy theory. If you look at it, people ignored first-hand testimony from everyone involved in that film. They ignored it from Jason Momoa, Ray Fisher, they ignored it from stage crew, they ignored it from 
uh, everyone, everyone involved. There is, it's been up for three years. There is a little three-minute interview with Sam Benjamin. You can just look this up on YouTube. Sam Benjamin, uh, Green Lantern, enter. There was a three-minute interview from three years ago where he talks about how he was in a 20-minute story arc in Justice League that was cut. But he filmed the whole thing. We knew from day one that there was a full-on Snyder Cut that was filmed. And one critic, one comics professional after another, constantly perpetuating this conspiracy theory that all these people were lying about it. All of them. Right? And uh, and that's why you had this weird thing about Snyder fans are super toxic and all this stuff. It's like you are the toxic ones. You're perpetuating this conspiracy theory that you that is obviously false, and you're getting nothing out of it. It was just like talking to flat earthers and Brexiteers. I couldn't believe it. Comics professionals tweeting things like, "How could the Snyder co cost seventy million if it was finished? That's impossible." And it's like, dude, they have to get the score. They have to do the CGI. Seventy million. I mean, of course, Steppenwolf, the fights, the editing, like, if you just break it down, if you talk to anyone who makes films, 70 million for a four-hour movie, blockbuster, <laughs> just like, he can have filmed everything, right? Uh, they could even, have, I mean, 70 million is cheap, right? So, it's, it's conspiracy theory. <laughs> you have to reject first-hand testimony. You have, you can't deal with them, so... You have to dehumanize, and that's what Superman's. Uh, sorry, what Batman's doing. And here is how do you get Superman into it? This is the problem of evil, the fantastic philosophical thing, uh, which is supposed to prove that God does not exist because he can't be all good and all powerful, and it's logically contradictory. And uh, that works uh, for Christianity, but it doesn't actually work for many other religions, including Islam, um, because uh, he's the phrase "all good" uh, is not correct uh, in Islam. Uh, he Allah is referred to as the most powerful and the most good, not the all. So he's not. So that kind of language doesn't restrict his morality and doesn't restrict his power. Whereas when you say all, you create this logical abstraction with semantics. And um, Christians have have Christian philosophers have. have I mean, the, the funny thing about the problem of evil is it was. It was uh, coined in 1955 by Mac Mackie, I think his name was, and uh, Alvin Plantinga, I think 20 years later, disproved it logically. Alvin Plantinga is a Christian uh, philosopher, and he disproved it 20 years later, and uh, Mackie has said that since, I mean, he's dead now, I think, but he, he admitted that his the problem of evil doesn't work, and no one in serious philosophical cir circles actually takes it seriously anymore. Um, as a as a as a philosophical thing, but it's interesting because um, Lex is very young and he's immature. And I mean, <laughs> I say he's immature, and he's literally throwing Polaroids of, of this woman. Um, and he's playing with him and doing all this stuff. He has a very uh, and his whole idea of like is his view of God. It was based on his childhood abuse and all this. So his idea of God is very childish. Um, and I think, I think it's, I think it's really well done. Um, it's, it's, it's got that sort of um, 
aspiration of deep philosophy as he, that he's forcing onto uh, Superman. Um, but, you know, I like theology and philosophy and I think it's worthwhile. Uh, AFC is asking me, do you think uh, Bruce in this film believes in God? I don't think he does. Uh, I don't think he does. Maybe he does. I don't know. Uh, you'd have to ask probably Ben Affleck. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but Lex is, is very much one of those uh, anti-theistic people who clearly hates it hates religion uh, but he's obsessed with it right he keeps referring to things in a, in a theological view he he treats dark side and all this stuff as gods right doomsday all this biblical imagery is coming from lex um and it's all built into lex because lex has this obsession with power right and um uh and sort of manifesting himself as as a god right which again is another sort of Christian thing, which is this, uh, and, and paganistic thing, which is God can be a man. In other religions, it's simply not possible. Uh, it's absolutely not. That's shirk in Islam. It's absolutely not the case. But in a, but so there's an interesting thing of just like um, where his things come, where his theology is coming from, and how he's looking at it. Uh, and he's really Aaron Lex in this. I think is excellent. Um, the way they've done it. He's this uh, tech billionaire Silicon Valley kid. We talk about prescience, right? We're talking about conspiracy theories and MAGA. I mean, also part of that prescience is the fact that the villain is Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> oh, and oh, sorry, I should get back to this. The motivation of characters. No one stays good in this world. Uh, how do we get Superman into a position where he's willing to kill? Batman, uh, we totally, utterly break his spirit. <laughs> you know, he he's off now, and we're wondering if he's really gonna kill, if he's gonna kill Batman. Uh, we know Batman's up for it, but we don't know if, if Superman is. Um, and by the way, it's worth pointing out when he was when he was uh, uh, sadistically playing with Superman, uh, Lex kept saying Martha, 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 Martha to keep it in your head because that's going to pay off in a bit um, but Superman's like no one stays good in this world, he doesn't want to go off and do this, he just doesn't know what else to do he he can't he can't just let his mother die, he can't do it uh, and he hates Batman, this is important he doesn't like Batman, right, they've set up he's not friends with Batman uh, and so it's this thing where you have to actually make it a choice you have to balance it so it's an actual choice. Uh, one of the reasons I love Homecoming, the Sp and the, the Spider-Man Homecoming film is the whole fun of Spider-Man is he his choice is I could stop the villain or I could take MJ to the prom, right? And it doesn't work if the villain's plan is to blow up Manhattan because <laughs> they're not equal. Um, you have to balance it. So Homecoming, it's like, well, I could let Vulture get away with just a robbery of a drone ship where no one will get hurt. Or I could take Liz to the Homecoming dance. So it's balanced, right? And in this, if he liked Superman and respected Superman, and it, uh, sorry, if Superman liked and respected Batman, and if Batman um, was uh, this wonderful heroic paragon, this would not be a choice. He would never pick to kill him, and we we know that going in. But in this kind of environment, where we know they don't like each other, where Batman actively wants to kill him, um, there's a genuine sense of we don't know which direction Superman might pick, and we know which direction we want him to pick, 
we just don't know how he's going to break this Gordian knot of a problem and that builds that collision more and more um, and these are all by the way these are great setups for what's coming um, I really appreciate having post credit scenes in the film as opposed to making me wait five minutes after the credits um, <laughs> and this and by the way this isn't just empty stuff this is really important stuff that's um that's motivating her to get involved. I, we talked about, you know, I'm talking about motivation and how these characters are deeply motivated to do the things they are doing. And that's motivating um, Wonder Woman to do things. And the the placement of it, AFC saying the placement of it is jarring. I, I can understand that. Um, because you're, you're very much into you're very much into the Batman Superman collision and yet it's it hasn't happened yet right you're you, when Superman flew off you're expecting the very next thing to be those two meeting um and so they I get that because you're suddenly jumping to her and you don't know why that's there um but this is one of those things with I feel like in a TV series you people wouldn't say that if this was a TV series you would no one would say that was jarring they just get it but with a film I get it. I, I, I get it. Okay, I love this. Well, here I am. When that... Right. When this happened, the first time I saw this, here I am. My reaction was how I was on the edge of my seat, excited and invested, because I, I just did not know how they were going to get out of this. I, don't, I, I had no idea how this... How do you get these two characters out of this? Because either Batman's killing him, or Superman's killing him. I don't know how they do this. Because Batman's not willing to listen, right? Bruce, you don't understand. I understand. Like He won't listen to him. He will not let Superman into him. He can't. He just can't do it. He's in a paranoid delusion. Um, brought on by a... By Facebook. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I can't believe this came out in March 2016. <laughs> just every... Just it nailed the next four years. I part, Partly, I think one of the reasons why this film is... Um, and the Snyder Cut people are more receptive to it is... One, Endgame f happened. And so people are sort of satisfied with the Marvel. Marvel ended and had like a big ending and a really good ending. Endgame was wonderful. And um, I think people are receptive to a different version. I think the backstory behind this made it very clear that... Snyder deserves to have his film come out and all the corruption and the systemic toxicity in Hollywood. People are very upset about that stuff and rightfully so. It's really disgusting. Uh, but also I think four years down the road this came out before Brexit. Before Trump. Before MAGA. Before all this stuff. And now I just feel like people have caught up. This is That's brilliant. Um, Superman catches it because he... No like, notice what he's done. I... Uh, stay down. If I wanted it, you'd be dead already. He's trying to get through to Bruce. He's trying to get through to him. So we know Superman is not willing to kill uh, Batman. But Batman is willing to kill him. And he shoots the kryptonite thing and he catches it. Completely unaware as it could hurt him. And you're not... Well, listen, you're not brave. Men are brave. He's not a man. Right? Just constantly dehumanizing him. And now we've got fight, and for the first time, Superman is realizing 
Batman might actually kill him. Right? This is what's happening now. You see, Batman's motivated to kill Superman. Superman is getting motivated in the fight. Okay? If these two characters just showed up ready to kill each other, this would be kind of a dull fight. But because Superman is being pushed, there's a turning point that's going on inside Superman's head as this fight is playing out. And we, if you're in empathy with these characters, you can see it. Right? You're watching... Bear in mind, you can't really see Batman's face. You can only see Superman's face. Look at that. What, what are we seeing with Superman's face right there? He realizes he's getting his powers back. And now, Henry Cavill starts doing something that he hadn't done before. He's psyching himself up to possibly kill Batman. Right? He, ha he has to now do what Batman's been in the whole film. He has to... Look... If you look at his face he's like i can't i can't waste time trying to talk to him he'll kill me i have to beat him i have i have to do something to get look at this talk talk about the power and everything right are you ready to listen and look at this this is brilliant well, look what cavill does here cavill see that he checked he's still not willing to kill him yet He's checking him. Are, is he? How has he survived the fall? How's the armor holding up, right? And he throws him, and now... He hasn't decided. He's not sure what he's doing. We're waiting, and now... Is that it? Is he deciding? That's what we're... Right? Seems like he's really gearing himself up for it, right? And... Batman hits it with the kryptonite just in time. If he hadn't... Seriously... If he hadn't, do you think he would have killed him? I don't. I don't think he would have. I think he would have come very close to it, but he wouldn't have done it. Um, but he's not going to get another chance. Batman's going to kill him. He's going to try to be well. Anyway. And uh, Henry Cavill uh, <clears throat> is excellent. Uh, he's really excellent. Uh, he plays being in pain extremely well. Um. Yeah, just... Yeah, there's definitely some... There's definitely, um... AFC's just said uh, Jesus with the cross in relation to that imagery. There is definitely a lot of uh, biblical theology. I mean, this looks like a cathedral, right? I mean, is it a cathedral? And you'll notice there's that... I mean, look, that looks like a, a Renaissance painting, right? And um, there's that little leap, leap motif, remember? Of Batman's theme tune, and it's quiet. The crates look like ruined organs, yeah. It looks like a church of some sort, right? Um, and there's a choir. I mean, this is... Yeah. I wouldn't say it's an image system, but it's definitely a motif. 
Well, it only makes sense if you force it to. You see, now, you see what I was talking about, about empathy. Uh, the world... Superman isn't willing to use force to reshape the world into something better, but Batman is. And when we're confronted with all that systemic uh, cynicism and complacency and lack of accountability, you can't help but go, man, if I was Batman, yeah, screw it. I'd put on my costume and make the world make sense, right? And uh, on the other hand, you empathize with Superman. You go, geez, if I could make the world as I wanted it to be, right? I'd find it very hard to pull the trigger. You are never even a man. The psychology of this is great. Uh, and it's all implicit. And how... I mean, literally, you were never a man, and then he says, Martha. Uh, that's how you make the humanity. The humanity... Batman cannot deny the humanity anymore. The conspiracy theory is falling apart. He just can't deny it. It's too big a coincidence. It's too specific to him for him to just ignore it. And I remember when I saw this, I just sat back in astonishment because I genuinely at that moment he's got the spear on him he's gonna kill him he's ready to do it he's willing to do it everything in this film has made it absolutely clear and consistently in character Batman will kill Superman we've they've put him in a position where they've got Batman to want to kill Superman and I sat there going, how they're gonna go to it and he says Martha and I sat back and I had a rush of insight as I went, holy crap, of course. He, it just made perfect sense. And I, and I just imagined how happy the writers must have been when they came up with this. Because that Martha is a coincidence that has been in place for almost a century. And they turned it into a payoff. They turned it into the payoff of the collision. And I just... <laughs> Holy parental coincidence, Batman. Yes, you're right, Adam. Um, and I just... Uh, I, I, I just think this is superb writing. To go and be that resourceful. To be that honest with the characters. To genuinely understand their psychology well enough to get them into that position. And then get out of it without cheating. Uh, AFC says, Snyder said it was Terrio's idea. Then Chris Terrio deserves another feckin' Oscar. That is one of the most brilliant... It's just brilliant. Uh, and there's a sh shot now where you're going to see Batman is just desperate for redemption. Look at this face. He's begging for another shot because he's realized he became you know what was that phrase earlier uh 20 years in gotham we all know what promises are worth uh, how many good guys are left and he realized he was no longer a good guy uh you either you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain that's exactly afc and in fact uh that was something i was going to talk about in a bit because this film is a massive deconstruction of the fascist myth uh, and I'll get into that. Uh, ah, screw it. Let's get into it now. Because uh, he's going to have this amazing warehouse scene and I can talk about it. The fascist myth. Okay. 
Um, just before I start, like this, this whole Martha scene, the fact that it's a that is a brilliant payoff to the psychology of these characters. This, it's excellent, and it's got a massive rush of insight throughout the whole film, and outside of it, you realise these two characters uh, have that that coincidental uh, thing. I mean, like, I mean, to realise to turn that into a ammunition for a story, uh, I just think it's. That's holy. That's the. That's I am your father, you know. That's just. That is brilliant, brilliant writing. Um, right, the fascist myth. The fascist myth works like this. Uh, fascists have always said society is weak and they need heroes to save us. Okay, and so you know they come down off the mountain. They come into the into the town. You know. And they say, give me the badge, I'll be the sheriff and I'll, I'll deal with these banditos. And in, in action stories, that happens. But then the hero leaves. After they've saved everyone, they leave. Well, fascists use that to get into power and then they never leave. And <clears throat> the second half of the fascist myth is that fascists deserve their power. Either by birthright, because, you know, like in a monarchy or something. Or they deserve it because society is weak and they're the only ones strong enough to do it. And that's what our, our conservative Tory government uh, is constantly saying. Society is weak and they, we need the Tories to protect them uh, from Europe and from uh, whoever the hell it is. Uh, from apparently now women and people who, <laughs> and black people. and It's just disgusting, these Tories. So, um, you know, we've got to protect ourselves from cancel culture and wokeness. And it's like, oh, you mean holding racists accountable? That's what we've got to protect ourselves from. Um, so this is how fascists work, right? They always come in. They Society is weak. They need a hero. And then once they're there, they say, well, uh, we deserve this power because we're the only ones who know how to use it properly. Okay? That's the fascist myth. And uh, superheroes in particular uh, have a problem. Uh, and action stories have a problem, which is how do you tell an action story that isn't racist, uh, that isn't fascist propaganda? How do you do that? Um, and you and the, there's there's a number of ways you do it, and the real way you do it is the fact that your protagonist in an action story is a hero, is an actual hero. Okay, remember fascists abuse heroism; they appear like heroes in order to consolidate their power but real heroes don't do that and um superman is gripped by this problem no one trusts him okay no one trusts him that uh if they let him do what he wants that he won't start uh that he won't become the fascist uh they superman is not telling people that society is weak right uh, he's terrified. If he comes in and he just starts throwing his weight around, then that's going to make the idea that society is weak and therefore they need someone to take it over and so on. Um, and so he can't, he has to pay respect to them. So he, he actually humbles himself, right? He comes down and stands in front of them, even though they can't do anything about it. His presence in capital makes society appear weak. So Superman has to avoid making everyone feel impotent and weak. Because if he does, they end up like Batman, remember? That's how it starts. The power, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Okay? And so 
uh, Superman can't just do stuff because he'll make people feel weak and impotent and if they feel weak and impotent uh, that's going to that's going to uh, open the door to fascism and so on. Uh, but also people can't trust him because people know what fascists are like and he's got all this power. And so there's this whole thing about the film, which is how do you have a story of Superman in the real world dealing with real problems, modern day problems at a somewhat uh, more mature, uh, nuanced level of emotion and, and, uh, and ideology and politics and so on how do you have superman in that world and not make him fascist because he will just be fascist if he goes around and starts deposing tyrants or whatever uh, he's going to feel fascist if he doesn't attack the corrupt systems in society if all he does is go and rescue kittens from trees then he is helping by complicit he's being he's complicit right how do you make superman challenge society and try to improve society without turning fascist and uh he is wrestling superman throughout the whole film is wrestling with fascism he's wrestling with this idea of if he goes in the wrong if he makes one wrong move it's all you know he he becomes the thing he hates and you know you, he, and so what's the solution heroes the reason you can tell a hero is really a hero someone who pretends to be a hero is a hero the reason you can tell is heroes real heroes are altruistic they sacrifice for others and so the whole at the end of this film when superman sacrifices himself for humanity and dies that's why everyone believes in superman because they finally accept his sincerity because he died fascists never sacrifice never and so to solve the gordian knot of the fascist myth this film is constantly invoking all this religious imagery because fascists always revoke religious imagery there is a constant sense of fascism and religiosity and uh, all these modern day situations and it's i mean it's terrifying if you really think about this because as i said march 2016 this film came out how prescient they were how on the finger chris terrio was and they just nailed it how do you solve this gordian knot of Superman gaining trust and people truly and accepting him sincerely as a superhero, as a hero. And the only way he can do that is if he dies. He has to die. Uh, he has to die a hero because if he didn't, he would live and become a villain. Right? Has to happen. And here's Doomsday. Lex Luthor mis <laughs> hilariously he thinks uh, Doomsday won't attack him because he's made from his blood uh, but he's wrong <laughs> he's created uh, by the way what's the name of the villain Doomsday that's just another bit of uh, <laughs> and of course the first thing that happens Superman saves Lex from Doomsday um, first thing here we get here we get another fight uh, between um Here's, here's the one thing I wish they would have done. The one thing I wish they would have done. You remember at the beginning of the film, it goes, Metropolis, Mankind is introduced to the Superman. They have that title card. I just wish they'd put another title card here and it just goes, Metropolis, the Doomsday instant, or like Doomsday. Just just to sell the fact that, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is almost the end of the world. Um... Yeah, uh, I don't know. As I as I've done my little um, 
<laughs> if there's anything I should I I went to talk about before we got here, but uh, if there's anything anyone wanted me to talk about, but we're now in the climax, right? Um, doomsday climax. Um, Yep. Oh, we're talking about motivated, motivating characters. We now realize Wonder Woman knows there's other things out there. There's this thing there. She knows Batman. She knows Superman. Like, how do you get Wonder Woman to finally step back into the spotlight if she's been invisible for a hundred years? And it's like. Doomsday. <laughs> Doomsday. We have uh, we just lost connection with Metropolis at eight news. Now it's not clear what just happened. Uh, I love this. Uh, I love this in Man of Steel, and I love this here. That the way it just feels like this is really happening. <laughs> How best to describe? So I don't get people who complain that there's no humor in these films. There's, they have wonderful thing, good laughs. Uh, good laugh. The good laugh is when you have an enormous amount of tension. But um, so the way you have to generate emotional intensity in a story, uh, you want the audience's emotions, you, you have to play it. Uh, Quentin Tarantino talks about this, about how he conducts the audience like an orchestra. It's like, I want you laughing, laugh, laugh, laugh. Okay, stop laughing. And laugh, now cry. And laugh again. Right? That's how Quentin Tarantino described it himself. And um, you need to be able to modulate things. And you have to learn how to keep the tension rising without wearing people out and giving your place so, yourself somewhere to go and one of the ways you can diffuse tension uh, as things are building up is the good laugh uh, and uh, uh, AFC there's no out and out gags like the MCU that's that's true there's no proper full-on gags but there's loads of good laughs the MCU does lots of good laughs and it also has some proper out and out gags you're right but the MCU's the MCU has their own tone and their own way of building excitement and they use humor in the same way the difference is um, this is much more tense so the few good laughs they do are just slight slight little uh, moments and then it goes back um, into the tension whereas the MCU it's a lot lighter in tone but both of them do it in, in their own ways and it's wonderful to have it just have these little moments where you can, like, for example, here, right? Batman, oh god, like that, and there's like a nuclear explosion in the sky. Can you imagine what? I mean, that's a terrifying image. Dead of night, and there's a fire in the sky. Um, and just before it, uh, how best to describe it? It's, it's, it never, it's never mocking. It's just a small alleviation um, in the tension. So that when they come back, it's even more tense. And you'll notice that the way that the world is spreading out, these ramifications are spreading out into a world they've built up. This this stuff uh, with uh, Stan uh, with Stan with Swanwick and all these characters 
this is all stuff we saw from Man of Steel. It's a world they set up in Man of Steel that we are now seeing reacting to this. Uh, and Wonder Woman's reacting to this. The world is spread. It's the, an effect happens and it spreads out into the world. You tell how important uh, an event is by how far out into the world, into the story world, it spreads. And so, um, it's a, it, this is a real sense of importance, and it's gone. You know, this film. I mean, this is great. I mean, you saw how much of a slow build this film had until they finally fought, and now it's just... It, we've had uh, Batman v Superman, Batman in the warehouse, and now we've got Doomsday, Superman. That fight's over. Now we're going to get a Batman uh, Doomsday fight with Wonder Woman and then the three of them. And so it's just... We, you know, it's paying off. We waited a long time for this stuff. I mean, this is an action story. We want action. That's why we came here. But it's spending a lot of time motivating people into these situations and developing the world and the, so there's real meaning behind it and there's substance to it. Um, and it's wonderful. And he and it's he's done it in... It's, what, two hours now? He did it in two hours. If you had any See, nothing's wasted. We invented this spear earlier. We can now go back and use that as a resource to take to create another bit of story. It's never wasted. Now he's just uh, kiting him, as the, as they say in the MOBA world. You know, I play a lot of League of Legends now, and what Batman is doing here is kiting, and it's very difficult. <laughs> and this is a wonderful setup because uh, you're going to expect Superman is going to come and rescue Batman, but of course. Twist, it's Wonder Woman, uh, which is great. Uh, another little good laugh is about to show up. Here we go, Batman is dead. <laughs> There's a great, great little um, good laugh, and in comes Wonder Woman. And so, good laugh alleviates the tension. <laughs> There's music. I remember when I saw this the first time, and you're like, yes! Like this, Wonder Woman. I remember watching this, and I think uh, the first time I saw it, I might have seen this with Luke. And I turned to Luke and I went, "She's cooler than Thor. Uh, <laughs> she's just cooler than Thor." Uh, Thor. Uh, they tried to make the serious Thor work, and it didn't, right? Uh, and so Thor's kind of become a full-on comedy character. And I love, I love, I love the first Thor. I remember coming out of that and going, wow, that was way funnier than I expected it to be. And Ragnarok was wonderful. Uh, and I love it because Thor, <laughs> Hemsworth and Waititi took Thor in this comedy route. And we get to have Wonder Woman go down the dramatic route. And she gets to be the... Uh, she's just great. <laughs> she's just great. <laughs> yeah, see, little good laughs. Little, little respite. Another world. My world. I've 
Ah, there we go. First time on the big screen, we got all three of them. How crazy is that? And it's Wonder Woman's theme tune playing. She's front and center. Uh, she's just. And uh, one of my favorite things. Uh, I always wanted to write. Uh, I love the Justice League, and I would always have loved to have write, written a story with them. I, I had a whole idea of how you would do the cast dynamics and everything, and who knows? Maybe if I'm very lucky, I'll get a chance to do something with it one day. But um, uh, one of the things I always wanted to do, I always felt was really appropriate, was pointing out that Batman cannot fight the kind of villains like Darkseid uh, because they're just so phenomenally powerful. Having Batman go up against Darkseid breaks all the consistent rules and world building that you've done uh, because he's just, it's, you know, it would be like having him attack a mountain. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, so I loved, I could, when I watched this, I was like, did they go into my head and steal my thoughts because this is how I would have done it. Like if I had been writing, I say, I say how I would have done it. I probably wouldn't have done it anywhere near as good, but I, I say I, I probably, I would not have done this as well, but I would have absolutely been like, Batman cannot engage Doomsday. He, he can't do it. Uh, he ha he if, if, if Doomsday touches him, he's dead, so he can't do it. And I, I love the fact that they did that. And in fact, one of the reasons I love it is the polarization of the characters here. That all three of them are fighting Doomsday in their own unique way that's character specific. It's not just power specific, it's character specific. Um, one, one of the ways superheroes would differentiate themselves from each other obviously was by their powers you know uh, Stan Lee famously said you know um, he had to come up with uh, he first came up with a power of wall crawling then came up with the name Spider-Man and then as a sort of a bit of fun he made him a teenager with personal problems right but what he needed before he could do anything he had to have uh, a superhero with a certain power set that no one else had. That's what that's what the level of it was, um, and I think it's great when to see that you know these superheroes. It's not just power specific polarization. That's fine. That's it's fine, but character specific polarization. Superman is. I mean, look at that. He's great. Um, he goes for the Kryptonian spear and himself. Um, you know, Superman is is fighting very differently to the others. Uh, Wonder Woman. Oh, this! Look at this. Ah, oh, this scene. Ben Affleck running from Doomsday. It's just incredible. Like he just doesn't hesitate. Uh, he knows he can't be. He can't let Doomsday touch him, or he's dead. And he's just running away. Um, and it, and as a result, by the way, you know, a character. Um, we see the depths of who they are. Character revelation. You know, in in in. One of the problems that you have with action is how do you reveal character? How do you dimensionalize character when everything is extra personal and everyone is under pressure all the time? Because then you don't hold anything back and you can't be that dimensionalized because you don't have a lot of internal conflict. So how do you make this work? And um, the amount of pressure that you put on the character, what you do in action is you don't have a bunch of dimensions. You have a couple 
and then you polarize them. You push them to their limits. And so Batman, we saw Batman take on suit. Look at, look at like Wonder Woman. She's smiling and chuckling, right? Um, Batman, he, we saw how much how how his his capacities against Superman. But now he's up against someone more powerful than Superman in a way and less restrained. And now he has to stay, step it up. And so we see him go even further. Um, I love you. This is my world. Remember what he said earlier in the nightmare scene? You took her from me. She was my world. He keeps referring to things as my world. It's a little... Right? Um, and it's not possessive in that sense. Um... It's like he's he's in and okay, and here comes the This music that's playing is the same music that plays when he crashes Zod into uh the 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 station in Man of Steel before he snaps his neck, it's the same music playing. Um and here we have each one of them doing their piece and they would do it without talking. This these are the score is brilliant. And um you're right, AFC, the score is brilliant. And these characters are they know what they're doing. They don't need to be told. They're not talking at each other. They just get it. Wonder Woman holds him tight. Batman does the kryptonite because they know Superman's coming. And there he is. Now, here's this bit. I put this up on Twitter. Watch watch Cavill's face. Watch, right? He tries to get off the spike, and he can't. And now, he pulls himself, and he's about to cry. Look at that. Because of all the pain... And the fact and the acknowledgement that he's about to die. He knows he's not making it out. Okay? There was a bit of hope before now he knows he's going. And Cavill just plays that moment for everything it's worth. And this, by the way, is a setup for Justice League. Um, the shout is what wakes up the mother boxes. Uh, we saw that in the trailer. There you go. And there's another... I mean, he looks like he's in a Renaissance painting. I mean, look at that. Um... It's part of that religious imagery and all that stuff. It's the choir. Yeah, it's great. But you you see what I mean? Like the uh, Jordan just said that the awareness of power disparity between characters like Batman and Doomsday was not present in Suicide Squad and one of the big reasons that stopped me from getting into it. Yeah, man. Yeah, I agree. Oh, Lois. Uh, but that was, this, that's, that's the only way, that's the tragic irony of it, right? It's the only way um, uh, people can actually accept <clears throat> Superman is who he always claimed he was. Uh, he had to die. He could never be Superman until that point because no one would ever really trust him. Not in the world that that he lives in. That world would never trust him. AFC decision to have him be a man of few words was quite good. Uh, who? Superman? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
when you do that, it forces you to pay attention to the acting, right? It forces you to pay t- attention to what's going on. And that, look, there's like crosses in the background and everything. Uh, I mean, so for, I, I, you know, it's great stuff. I can't believe they cast Zuckerberger's Lex. I mean, that's such a great insight. Such a great insight. He came in apparently to read for Jimmy Olsen. And uh, Snyder just went, no. Superman dead. Huh. I love this piece of music. This, um, this. I guess it's the Smallville light motif. It's the Kent. Uh, I love it. Just great. Jordan uh, Zuckerberg is a real life Lex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is uh, manipulating people constantly, uh, collating all the data on people. Uh, to know everything about them in order to get them to engage. I mean, think about it, right? What, when Lex is sending Batman and Superman all those photos, that's essentially, you know, targeted ads. That's algorithms, right? It's like, here's a tweet you might like, knowing full well you'll retweet it and go, oh, how dare people do this? Right, that, right? That's all that provocative engagement uh, and generating conflict. I mean, seriously, Lex Luthor is played by Mark Zuckerberg, and his plan is to use social media to get two people who agree with who should be friends to fight each other. It's like, how did people not become on this? It's just, it's so on the nose. I love it. Uh, AFC, stroke of genius. It really is. Uh, Eisenberg must have come in to read for Jimmy Olsen, and Zack Snyder must have just gone, wait a minute. Let's um, let's not uh, let's not do the obvious thing and have Brian Cranston. Let's do this. I mean, uh, and he did it with all of them, right? Jason Momoa uh, thought he was being asked to read for Lobo, which makes perfect sense. Of course, Lobo. It's like no, we want you to be Aquaman, and they've completely changed Aquaman as a character. Like, Aquaman now is a mixed race Polynesian, and that's just how it is. I mean. What a great, great insight. Adam is saying that <laughs> that Stanley should have been a bagpiper. Oh, Adam. Oh, dear. <laughs> Wait, this isn't a Marvel movie? No, Adam, it's not a Marvel movie.
So, uh, yeah. All those circuses back east are an empty box. They don't know how to honor him. Except for the soldier. I failed him. Life. I won't fail him in death. Yeah, there you go. Help me find the others like you. Um, there we have Batman once again deciding he has to do something, right? They will and they'll fight. We have to stand together. We have to stand together. Yeah, Diana. Yeah, you're right, Adam. Diana keeps her involvement out. She's still not <clears throat> fully invested in coming back into mankind. You see, you see what we were saying, but earlier about how everyone in this film uh, except for Batman and Superman is accept the world as it is um, and Batman and Superman don't want it to be that way uh, Batman actively tries to force it and Superman tries to inspire it um, and so we they, they're polarized in that way uh, and that's why they can have a collision at all because they're slightly different ends. So there you go. Um, and so Diana has not got there. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right, Adam. It's a great ju juxtaposition, and it, it 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 it's all about. I mean, you can't do a collision if the characters aren't polarized. You have to have wildly different characters. So no one in the, there's every character in this film is very different from all the others. Uh, there's no homogeneity there. It's really important to do it. And when you consider that he, they, they did this within one film, they took these characters. This is one film. This is two hours, and they've done all this work on these characters' mindsets. That's not common, it's particularly in action. You don't get that in action a lot. Uh, in a lot of the big blockbustery type stuff, it's normally just set piece, set piece, set piece. Characters don't get to get fully polarized the casts are too big um but here no the cast is just is kept as tight as possible and characters are polarized as quickly as possible and um uh through subtext and you've got these great actors i mean you've got ben affleck here he's amazing cavill eisenberg Amy Adams, Lawrence Fishburne, Jeremy Irons. This is crazy. AFC. I think Goya's script was more action. Quite possibly. I have no idea. Um, so I don't know if this is the case, but I always thought the reason Lex starts going ding 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 is because in the comics the mother box goes ping 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 ping. Uh, but I don't know if it's actually a, if it's a mother box thing. Uh, for all I know. Um, Eisenberg improv that. Um, and he's turned it upside down. So it's this is this last bit we get a rush of insight into Lex. We realise Lex has gone crazy. Right? <laughs> I mean, 
he's gone properly crazy. Superman was such a theological attack on him, uh, on his view of this sort of um, this sort of um, immature view of God as being restricted, as if somehow God's morality impedes on God's power, uh, as if like um, God is like a robot and he can, you know, <clears throat> he can't, he can't. There's a certain binary. Uh, you know, immature thinking is always binary, and so this idea that God is just there's there's only good and there's only evil, and that's just how that works. And it's just like, well, it, good is good, and this is it's like you're not you're thinking of him as like a person. You're not thinking of him as God in that way. And so this theological attack has of Superman's existence has broken him, and then he's found out that there's a devil out there, which is Dark Side. And uh, to no one's surprise, Superman's still alive. Uh, <laughs> the little us flying up but yeah that's the film um but yeah so we real so at the very end there you see lex has gone gotten unhinged uh, uh god came into his world the devil's in his world and he's just snapped and uh he's he's he's, he's, he's lost it um but yeah that 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 thinking of like um the, the, that way of looking at it that as if like um the the um and it's it's a, it's a it's a interesting way of of the god imagery on superman the idea that superman has the same moral responsibilities and when he has the power that he has it doesn't make a lot of sense i mean if you think about it like if you can if you know god can have an afterlife and all these kind of things it, it, there's there has to be a reason why he's created the world the way he has and in christianity the view is reality is a punishment for our falling from heaven but in islam uh, reality is a test uh and so it's all it, it's it's going to be uh it, <clears throat> pardon me it's not the only reality there is there's more and so um it's very much like um things that happen in this world happen because uh it's supposed to be this test and we have to be free in it Whereas in Christianity, the view is this is a punishment from God. And it's like, well, why would God punish people who um, haven't done anything wrong? And why? Would, and so you have all this problem of evil because the concept of God is this sort of view of uh, he has to only ever do good things in the sense of as if he had only the power of a human being. And this is a punishment. And so it doesn't really make a lot of sense in that sense it's always been a problem and while christian philosophers have dealt with it and so on um but the point is is that that view uh is how lex sees things he has that binary uh view um and it's it's unhinged him um when superman and dark side now it's just unhinged him so anyway um i don't know if that made sense or any of this does i've rambled uh about a lot of things I don't know if there was anything I should have talked about. Maybe I should have. Uh, I love this movie. It's really great. Uh, hopefully uh, you can kind of see that. Uh, I just, I think it's great the way all these characters are expressed. Uh, I think it's great that Batman is um, trapped in this sort of conspiracy theory. I think it's great watching Superman wrestle with the pain of being told he doesn't belong uh, by, by what should be his home. Um, because simply because of sort of racists uh, and, and xenophobia, 
Um, I think it's great the way that Lex is motivated um, to f manipulate everyone into constant battle because he, in his own head, um, has usurped God. He's got that Nietzschean view of himself. Uh, he doesn't believe in God um, because he can't really think of anything grander than himself. And so he, he brings God down into this sort of immature way of looking at the world uh, and re revels in his own immaturity uh, and thinks of himself as, as enlightened in that way when in fact he's very morally deficient um, and then he takes that out on other people he, he, has to, <clears throat> he has to break the rest of the world because he feels that the world is broken and he you know <clears throat> he's, he's, he's <laughs> the world is just for him to, to play around with nothing, nothing in it really matters to him uh, he's a psychopath, right? He doesn't have that. <clears throat> he doesn't have that feeling, and so of course he projects his psychopathy onto God, and then surprisingly finds God's morality lacking. Um, and that's just a great insight into Lex. I think it's a really great insight into why Lex would hate Superman, um, because Superman is the the direct contradiction of that belief, uh, and exposes his own um, immorality. Uh, and degenerative, uh, is a whatever that word is. Degenerative. That's no, not a word. You know the word I mean. Um. Uh, and you've got Batman, just gripped with this, and Superman is wrestling with the fact that you know what can I do that doesn't make things worse. That's the whole thing he has with Jonathan Kent. That dream he has <clears throat> on the top of the mountain. Um. Where he's just wrestling with what, how do I, how do I solve this problem of uh, getting people to be better without <clears throat> me actively forcing the world to do that way? Because if I do that, I become the thing I hate. Batman doesn't get that. He tries to do that. Lex Luthor has done that. He's already forced the world to be the way that he wants it to, and the way he wants it to be is bad uh, because that's that's how his, his psychology is. So I, anyway, I think that's great. I think it's. I think it's wonderful stuff um, and I think that the way that this sets up a lot of things that are going to pay off I think now we're going to see with the Snyder Cut which I think it releases tomorrow on HBO Max I'm, I don't know how I'm going to see it but I'm hoping uh, it's going to be on something here that I can uh, watch and uh, it'll be really interesting to see all the payoffs that are going to come out of this um, Perhaps it will fall out of the internet, says Adam, mysteriously. I feel that there is probably... I don't know. I think maybe Google Movies is going to have it yeah, over here. I'm not sure. There's going <clears> to <throat> there's gonna be some streaming service somewhere that has it. Now TV. Um, it, it, it's just on... Oh, it's on Now TV. Okay, so there we go. I will look up Now TV tomorrow i will probably sign up for now tv <laughs> just so i can watch seven day free trial i no no man no free trial for me i want to pay if if there's an option like hey you can buy this on amazon for 20 pounds or something like that's what i'll do i am paying for the snyder cut because i want justice league 2 i want justice league 3 um Support local business. Yes, I would like to support my local, my local giant internet uh, American 
Hollywood conglomerate, please. Thank you. Um, right. Okay. Was there anything I didn't talk about that I should have? Because uh, this is over now. So before I um, close everything, image systems. What about image systems? What about them? I'm just going to pause this now. Um, image systems. Which do you notice? Um, so an image system is a very specific uh, term. It's, uh, it's a category of imagery that is repeated consistently that has uh, a meaning in the story. Uh, the only image system, you'd say falling. Um, there, there is an image system of falling, but there's also an image system of ascension, right? I mean, you're falling in ascension. Uh, and that's part of the religious system, right? Things falling into hell, uh, out of heaven, things going up to heaven. Um, there's definitely an arising... There, 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 there's a definite religious theology, but I wouldn't call it um, an image system. It's really more of a motif. Uh, and the difference is a motif is just something that hangs there as opposed to something that builds in the story and uh, ha internalizes a meaning like the religious imagery in in batman v superman doesn't take on a different meaning inside batman v superman it is what it is um um uh, i mean i guess i guess you could i don't know because there's i don't really think it's an image system i think there's there's a lot of references to um uh god and the devil and doomsday and it's a lot of biblical imagery as i said it was it's a very specific biblical christian kind of religious imagery and um I, I, by the way there's nothing wrong with that um I'm, I'm just sort of i'm trying to contextualize it um specifically like where these ideas are coming from maybe and how they're coming out um and the the imagery is very much just like um i mean there's a sort of there's a religious imagery in the in man of steel with gethsemane and so on it's just more pronounced in this one because dark side is coming and he's got the omega beams and all that stuff and there's a, a certain and dark side because he's designed by jack kirby was very much based on sort of jewish religious imagery and so it's it's all there but the the, the religion is as religion it's not portrayed i mean i guess you could say there's an image system of these superheroes as religious icons but it's it's not really an image system in that sense um not that that matters to be honest with you it really doesn't this kind of um this kind of uh semantics is is really somewhat ir irrelevant um the point is Zack snyder and Chris Terrio are using this this systems because they understand something, which is uh, that if these characters came into the world, um, people would immediately contextualize them theologically because they would be a theological threat. Um, they are such a profound destabilizing of reality that. Um, reality people would would have trouble dealing with it uh and so um batman for example 
refuses the the sort of theological imagery in that sense, but in in one way because he keeps calling him an alien and so on. But um, he also, in his head, thinks of himself as a martyr, right? Um, and that he's sacrificing, you know, himself in order to save all of humanity and so on. Um, and he has that great. <laughs> You know, he has that great fight at the end uh, with Superman where he basically is going to stab him with a spear in a church. <laughs> right? There's, um, and so uh, the religious uh, imagery, these characters would just be a massive theological problem for people in the real world. Um, people would try and fit them into their theology in some way. Um, and... Uh, it's hard and dark side dark side is a is a very he is the devil right like he's he's supposed to be uh jack kirby designed him in that way he is the he is the devil right and um and so all this imagery is there it makes it it's not it, there's a natural segue for it because as i say people's theology would be affected by them but also it um it helps set the grandiosity of what's coming um you feel when he fights doomsday you feel like they're fighting something they've set up over and over and over again in the film uh batman says to, to clark kent you know bruce he says to him um there's an alien who he could who could wipe out the whole planet and there's not a damn thing we could do about him and he says it to alfred again and um batman is the roman soldier that stabs jesus with a spear Yes, Jordan. Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yes, that's the imagery that that, that is evoking. You're quite right. Uh, he's all in armor. He's got the centurion thing. He's got the soldier. Yeah, you're quite right. That's the imagery that's, that it is. Um, and um, this stuff... Um, what was I saying? Um, uh, but by... Uh, by bringing this, I forget what I was saying. Oh, where was what was I trying to throw on? Um, he's bring you're you're bringing in all this uh, religious imagery. There's a natural segue for it because people will be threatened by it. But you're bringing it in, and it just makes it feel with Doomsday. It felt like this could be the end of the world, and we know with Darkseid coming that really this could be the end of the world. He's going to bring hell to Earth. I mean, that's the that's where this story is going, right? That hell is about to come. Uh, and so um, this is um, it, th this religious imagery, I think, really is there to help sell the power of Darkseid. Um, to really sell just, not just that Darkseid isn't just like um, a physical threat, but he's an existential threat. The anti-life equation is going to come, right? His weapon uh, basically uh, destroys a person's soul. Um, and so damnation, these things are the stakes. That's where this is going. And so I think the religious imagery is there to um, keep that in people's minds and really sell that because that's that's where this is going. And so, you know, the, the, the semantic discussion of what exactly is an image system versus a motif. And is this technically... To me, it's... Um, it's an interesting thing for studying uh, if you want to and if you want to try and c 
codify that for yourselves or whatever. But for my personal viewers, it's um, it, it doesn't really matter too much these that that level of specificity because um, I doubt even the people making it. The, how can I put this? You the that level of specificity of articulation of 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 concepts in action uh in the in the writing itself uh the reason you put it in writing is because that's how you express yourself you don't express yourself with an essay um you express yourself in the story and so so long as what you're trying to say is being expressed and audiences are responding to it the specific language of image system motif is is i don't think is particularly important um but is it an image system or isn't it i don't know uh it doesn't matter too much um if it specifically is um the point of an image system is you take a category of imagery you put it into your work you progress it and it evokes the it has a symbolic thematic uh it's uh, germane to your to your to your story um and so for example in dead poet society there's an image system of education as death because ultimately what's going to happen is neil is going to commit suicide because uh he's going to be stuck in a military school and so education as death sets the audience up thematically and emotionally for that kind of turning point um whereas um in this you the 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 um the religious imagery doesn't have an internal meaning it's just a uh, it's it's a it's sort of this symbolic dressing across everything to sell the grandiosity and uh of of where this story is going at least that's how it seems to me so i mean if you want to call that an image system you can um i uh, that's fine um does that make sense? I feel like I'm splitting a hair here that really doesn't need to be, and I'm making it more confusing than it needs to be. There is a religious image system, I guess, in the film, uh, and it's there to sell Dark Side's eventual coming. Uh, Man of Steel has it very slightly. This has it quite a bit more. I have no idea how much more Ju Justice League is, but I genuinely think Justice League... That I think I've seen shots of Justice League and they look like Hier Hieronymus Bosch paintings, you know, and Hieronymus Bosch famously painted these pictures of hell. You see them in Seven, uh, the movie Seven, there's a bunch of them. So I'm guessing there's, uh, you know, Apocalypse itself would have just, uh, if we, I think we're going to see Apocalypse in, just, in the Snyder Cut. And I'm guessing it's just going to look like a, uh, uh, like a painting this had a bunch of renaissance paintings and now we're going to go probably into Hieronymus Bosch I wouldn't be surprised I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if Zack Snyder picked a certain era of religious paintings to to evoke and it changed he picked a certain era for this film a certain era for Man of Steel and now he's picking another era for Justice League and it's like there's a progression I wouldn't be surprised if he's done it that way but he might not have <clears throat> I don't know does that does that help? Does does that make sense of it, or did I make that confusing? Anyone? Made sense. Great. I'm glad you thought so, AFC. Um, great. Anything else anyone wants me to talk about? Uh, otherwise, I'm I'll be done. Uh, 
Okay, then. Uh, it's been a genuine pleasure. You're more than welcome. Thank you, uh, everyone. I will um, find a way of uploading this probably on iTunes and, and YouTube because I think, I think by the way, it's worth pointing out that the iTunes um, uh, SoundCloud account is up because I put it up for the pandemic so people could listen to it and I gave it a year subscription. So that year is going to be up soon. And... Um, uh, like in a few days, I think. So the there'll only be one or two maybe episodes left on iTunes until it goes back up again, if it ever goes back up again. Um, so I might just drop this thing on YouTube um, and uh, we'll see. Uh, t Jordan, tell Luke Senpai we miss him. Uh, you can tell him yourself, Jordan. You, you get to chat to him when we play League of Legends. <laughs> <laughs> um right thank you very very much um for joining me on this thing um i, I really appreciate it um and um yeah okay uh i uh, maybe i'll do another one of these some other time but um i hope that that was informative and useful and interesting uh i really love this film and um, I really hope that people can <laughs> can at least. Oh man, when this film came out, uh, people were so rude, so so rude about it. And I'm like, can you not? People just like, no, that's not how Superman should be. I'm like, yeah, it's exactly how Superman should be. Like I'm, I really like Christopher Reeve, and I really liked. Uh, but my Superman growing up was Dean Cain. Uh, the irony. Uh, and I love the Dean Cain Superman. And I love the whole Superman is your friend. And all that stuff. But um, watching Superman just be broken by racism uh, is a whole other thing. And I, I was watching I was watching Batman v Superman in the cinema. And, there's, and I just... There's, there were bits where people were talking to him. And I just was like... I... This is my experience of every airport security check I've ever been to um and I'm I'm watching I'm I'm watching I'm just like that's me that I get that that's me I get that and I think a lot of um I think a lot of comic book fans particularly white comic book fans they couldn't get it and I'm a bit disappointed by all the people who really champion they want all this diversity in storytelling which i think is really great but they missed it because superman was white if they had cast um a black person to play superman i think everyone would have got it um but because superman's white i think they just didn't get it i don't i don't know i don't i can't, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why people didn't get it and as, as i said one of the reasons was because these characters are unsympathetic and people are predisposed to thinking empathy and sympathy are the same thing when it comes to children's characters like superman and batman um and i think they weren't um they weren't prepared for that um and i think another part of it is because uh people can be quite superficial uh when um when consuming things uh and people were not prepared for this kind of I, I, i'm not saying people were stupid or that people were Un, uh, un unable to get this stuff I think they were 
unwilling to really get into that that even if you even if you spell it out no afc it's not it's not um it's not escapism in that sense it's 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 more even if you explain it it's like okay but i still don't want to play the game you know you can tell someone why like hey a salad it's good for you but that doesn't mean people actually still want the salad they just appreciate it. it's good for you, right? And it's the same sort of thing here where it's like, um, hey, uh, this this film has all these elements to it and it has these insights and it's how it portrays these characters in this way to make a story that feels this way and gives you this kind of sense and it's not escapism, as you say, in that sense. It's um, we're going to go into a more deep and uh, realistic world and we're going to explore sort of explore these characters in a real world in the way alan moore did in the comics with watchman and miracle man which is very much Zack snyder's uh world that he likes to play in uh and it's it's less about escapism and more about um the awe inspiring nature of bringing the fantasy into reality uh it's the other way around and the existential sort of eeriness and terror of doing that the supernatural aspect of it and I think even people who get that, some people go, yeah, but I don't want that. I don't want to play that game. And so I, I don't say like, so when I say people won't, didn't want to play along for it, with it or they weren't prepared for it, I don't, that's not meant to be uh, uh, an insult to people who didn't like the film um, or anything like that. It's just meant to be like, you know, if you don't like chocolate ice cream, it doesn't it doesn't matter how much i tell you how good chocolate ice cream is you still not you still don't want it right it's like eh, it's just not it's not a flavor you want eh, that's fair enough um but you know i think it's i think it's wonderful uh it's and it's definitely i mean I, there's a lot of marvel films i really really love um but i i'm going to be honest my favorite marvel films then it they my my love of batman v superman uh, is way higher than my love of I can't think of a Marvel film I love as much as Batman vs Superman maybe maybe <sighs> there's uh, it's hard to say that um but it's true uh I love Spider-Man Homecoming and Ragnarok and Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man 3 I think those films are stellar films they really are but um as much as I love them I don't love them as much as Batman vs Superman uh, and that's not because I'm saying Batman v Superman's a better film. Rather, it just, you know, that, to go back to that, that analogy of flavor, it's just, that's that's my flavor. You know, that's, that's, that's my favorite flavor of ice cream. Um, oh, sorry, some people have typed. Interesting to get a toolkit episode on empathy, sympathy. Um, okay, well, you got it. It will be this one. I just talked about empathy, sympathy. Um, <laughs> uh, AFC, a uh, Mandarin twist, and I, I thought that was excellent. I the Mandarin twist in Iron Man three is is like Martha. It's it was it was brilliant. Uh, it was great subversion. It was uh jeez, maybe I should do one on Iron Man three, uh, because Iron Man three is is probably the best written Marvel film. Um, I mean. I, 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 those four Marvel films are just a shame. Yeah, Shane Black is just. 
Iron Man 3 is astonishingly good. Uh, maybe I should talk about that. Um, but yeah, um, I love Batman v Superman. The more I think about it, the more I watch it, the more I love it. Um, I used to, the, the Dark Knight used to be my favorite uh, Batman, uh, favorite superhero movie, um, and I don't think it is anymore. Uh, because my problem with the Dark Knight is, um, as much as I love it, a Christian Bale's voice has not aged well for me. Um, it's just it's just a little too silly. Um, uh, so oh, this 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 by the way this is what I find interesting about favorite films. I mean, we did a podcast episode about favorites, and when it when it comes to things that you really love, um, it, quality is irrelevant. Uh, the fight choreography—I uh, don't think it's sloppy, AFC, but I think it's—I think it's fine. Um, uh, it, it, here's the thing: it does what it needs to do. Um, it, look, the fight choreography uh, in, say, something like *The Raid* or a martial arts film is a primary reason of why you went to see the film. Okay. The choreography, therefore, is really, really important, and it needs to be good. And if the choreography is not good, you will be disappointed, okay? Uh, Batman v Superman and The Dark Knight, the choreography, because these characters are larger than life and ridiculous, and it's all stunts, um, what's more important is conveying the turning points and making the turning points feel meaningful and real, rather than necessarily them being particularly impressive to look at. Um, and in The Dark Knight, they went down a certain route, which was that sort of Jason Bourne kind of route, which was lots of editing, and um, uh, and, 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 and it's less about the stunt choreography, just because it's, it's, the film is not about that stuff. That's not the focus. Um, it, the choreography in the film does what it needs to do it conveys the story and it does it effectively you're right it's not particularly impressive in any way but uh i think uh it's not trying to be uh i think it, it does what it does you know nolan's verbal exposition sometimes isn't the best in, in your opinion no I, I agree uh nolan um i have a lot of respect for nolan uh as a person because of again the snyder cut uh he's he seems to be a real gentleman and he really uh, stood up uh, against all the toxicity in Hollywood and everything. Um, I His films are a little too dry for me. I haven't seen Tenet yet, but I want to. Um, and I believe that when... Uh, he's, and I, I think when you have a filmmaker who is sincere and is a good person in that way, I think uh, supporting their work is important. And I should... Um, yeah. Yes, Jordan. Nolan shielded Snyder a lot from the studio and um i should i should watch tenet i should get onto it because i do but um he, his work is a little too dry for me and it's uh, my joke the way i phrase it is he is sometimes aggressively confusing for no real reason like he's he makes brockheimer type movies and yet he just makes them confusing for no reason um and i don't understand why like interstellar inception are not particularly complex ideas but he tells them in such an overly complex way uh, it kind of, but um, yeah, Tenet suffers from that. I don't know, but you know that's just, but that's how he wants to do it. And who am I to judge? He wants to do it that way. He does, as I as I was saying, um, when it comes to things that favorites and stuff. This is this is an important distinction I have to make because of you know, the, you know why people come, why you guys came to, to 
to watch to hit, watch and hear this screening and why people listen to the podcast and so on. I I have to make it clear <clears throat> that there's a difference when I when I between what I really like and what I am appreciating in terms of craft and um if if you if I have to pick I always prefer uh what you like over craft. Uh craft is really important if you're a writer and you need to do it because you want your audience to love your work. But when as an audience uh, and as a as as a sort of I get not critic but as I guess an analysis or whatever or whatever you want to call me, um, I have to be upfront with my biases because I can't have people um, think that um, something I really like or something I don't like is somehow there for a failure of the creativity of the person I'm talking about. I really love. Batman v Superman, for example, I find um, other. T- I, I I love a lot of the Marvel films, but I don't love them as much. Doesn't mean that's a criticism of me in terms of their craft or anything like that. It's simply me saying this is a flavor of ice cream I like more. And as writers, <clears throat> you need to recognize that you are writing your story for the people that you want to like it. You you can't do that thing of like. I'm going to appeal, appease everyone and make everyone happy. It's much better that you make the people who you know are going to like your story, that they love it, than it is to try and uh, fit some sort of... Because essentially what happens is you start getting becoming a genre snob. And you start saying, like, only these genres count as real art, and other genres don't. For example, I do not like horror. Horror is a genre I just don't enjoy. I I really don't. There are obviously some horror examples that I like. I like Terminator. I like The Shining. Junji Ito is incredible. He's a uh, Japanese manga uh, guy. He does uh, horror. Uh, incredible stuff. But I don't particularly like it. And uh, so if I talk about horror, I have to talk about it and make it clear up front that I don't like it. And I have to therefore talk about it as if I was someone who loved horror, right? And only from there, you know, and I don't really uh, want, I don't like being negative about other people's creativity. um, And I don't like being negative about other people trying to do things and so on. So I, I, you know, I I made that decision a long time ago with the, with, with the toolkit about, I'm just not going to do any more negative critiques of things. Um, And so sometimes there's a comparison where you go, well, in this thing, they did it well. And in this thing, it, it didn't go as well as they wanted. Um, and other times you have to make clear that sometimes the reason you love something more than something else is not because the other thing is bad, but because for whatever reason, it strikes a chord. And uh, obviously with Batman v Superman, as I've pointed out in this, um, Batman v Superman is a film that was prescient in talking about all the crap that's been going on in the last four years. And I'm watching that, and every time I watch it, it just feels more and more um, relevant to me. And uh, and so, you know, watching Superman be hurt by all this racism, watching Batman get radicalized by a by Facebook, <laughs> and watching uh, a billionaire uh, manipulate all the systems of the world into denying the things that would make the world better. Um, just like and and like characters not wanting to belong like yeah that really 
that really gets to me and so it resonates with me a lot more and so I love it more than other films that you know are just as good in their own way um it's one of the reasons I love The Lost Jedi um I can't help but empathize with Luke Skywalker who basically deleted his Twitter account and left <laughs> like I don't blame him at all <laughs> he just had enough um so I get it um but yeah so I, I just want to make that clear because um I don't want uh, uh, you know, I, I talked about end games, time travel, and stuff. I don't want people thinking um, I'm slamming people because I'm not. Uh, some people didn't like this film; they weren't willing to play the game. That that's your prerogative. You're more than able to do that. But I think what I'd rather say is, you know, the way you should look at the film really is through the eyes of people who really love it and the person who made it, and. Um, I think it, I think it's great, and uh, that's why I think it's great. We <laughs> went through that whole thing. Uh, right, I'm repeating myself. I should go. This is why I need Luke. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Thank you all very much, and um, I will see you when I see you. Um, all the best, and take care. <laughs>